Hi, and welcome back to Castle Run Relay, a Star Wars podcast. Our episodes drop at the beginning of each week, and you can follow us on social media. Our links will be in the description. This week, we will be discussing the ninth episode of Andor Season 1 with a special guest. But before that, hi, my name is Hayden. I use she, her pronouns. You can find me on TikTok at taika.ytd and on Twitter and Instagram at mcuytd. And my brainworm of the week is Valance and Bounty Hunters 28 y'all it's it's so bad for me it is disastrous for me oh my god i i am so worried about that sexy little cyborg man (laughs) it it truly is disastrous for me um emily oh you go ahead oh no i was gonna say i don't know why but i danielle i don't think you've read the comics yet but i feel like you would like balance for you some would. reason i've read yeah. volume one i've read volume oh, one you and i you do did? love balance <laughs> okay that's good to know that's good to know you're in the you're on the right podcast then <laughs> balance nation gains another <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> the ranks are growing stronger oh my god balance nation is gonna be so big at celebration we're literally gonna have to be like a tidal wave that like mows Ethan down, yeah. <laughs> which which he depending on what happens in thirty one. Oh, it's it's gonna be bad. Thirty and thirty one are going to be horrendous for me specifically. <laughs> um. Anyways, Emily, why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, hello, I'm Emily. Pronouns are she/her. You can find me on TikTok at Stardust M and on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Stardust M. Twitter for now. Uh, <laughs> we'll see how. <laughs> uh, and my brainworm of the week is Justina Ireland signing my path of deceit and asking me have you read all of this yet? Because she had had people come up to her and be in the middle of it and be like, I love this so far. Also, Justina Ireland, maybe knowing our podcast. Stop. That's, that shit is scary. <laughs> yeah, because I was like, she was like, oh, writing songs the next day. I was like, oh, like we talk about Afra all the time on our podcast. It's like my friends are a little bit and like they're excited for the songs and stuff. And they're like, oh, what podcast do you have? And I told her, she's like, I think I've heard of that one. <laughs> cool, thank you. <laughs> I do, as much as I like playing or like verbally jousting with Ethan, it is very scary to be perceived by Star Wars authors. Yeah. It's very, very scary. <laughs> Especially ones where you're like, I... I feel very insane about the character. <laughs> <laughs> like talking to DJO at Celebration and trying to like explain like how like what Midnight Horizon like meant to me and how much like Reef and Comac like had an impact on me. I was like, <laughs> uh, Liv. Hi, I'm Liv. Um, I use she/her pronouns. You can find me on everything at Olivia Madala, and my brainworm of the week is um Cyril Karn depression meal cereal enjoyer he's just like me for real he's just like me for real that is also my go-to depression meal along with a spoonful of peanut butter yeah 
he has he hasn't um sunk that low yet so we'll see yet so he's like star wars version of peanut butter (laughs) i think it's i think it canonically is like nut paste or something i think i think timothy zahn had like wrote it yeah in chaos rising nut paste sandwiches (laughs) he couldn't have worded that any better (laughs) taste Really? <laughs> but cheese Somebody's... squares are also canon cheese squares mm. somebody said cyril Karn is like that because his blood sugar just keeps crashing <laughs> <laughs> so true real and well, we also have a special guest today if danielle wants to introduce herself Hi, I'm Danielle. Um, I use she, her pronouns, and you can find me on TikTok at Written in the Star Wars and Twitter at DannyS394, again for now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for having me on. And my brainworm of the week is, um, I don't know if anyone remembers this, hopefully I'm not the only one who does, but the bad lip reading of Empire Strikes Back, the seagulls stop it now. where my favorite line ever is Yoda saying I can be a backpack while you run (laughs) (laughs) for some reason that just came back into my head this week and I looked it back up on YouTube because I used to watch it all the time and I saw that it's been five years since it came out and I don't know how that's possible (laughs) I used to watch the Hunger Games one constantly (laughs) no the seagull song is just like permanently ingrained in my brain I couldn't forget that if I tried <laughs> that's all I think about when I see when I watch Empire Strikes Back yeah me too training. <laughs> yeah I was so excited to I thought when I, we were thinking of guests for Rogue One I thought of or for Andor I thought of Danielle because she is a fellow Rogue One Cassie and Andor enjoyer and I was trying to get as many of those on as possible for this show <laughs> the people who are really in the trenches when we had yeah. like nothing for this show deep in the trenches deep <laughs> yeah um well what happened this week uh Andor volume two soundtrack came out I have been bumping Neomos Galaxy Mix since it came out. It came out, um, when was it? Uh, Midnight Eastern Standard Time on, I think, Wednesday or Thursday. It's just been on repeat. And the Coruscant Coruscant Lounge Mix is pretty good, too, but the Galaxy Mix is just superior. Mm -hmm. Yes, I have been. I was so excited because I was just, I was like, oh, I can finally add all of the Aldani uh, yeah. Thanks to my Aldani <laughs> Rebels playlist, I was like, the vault added. Like, no turning know? back, added. Climb. Added. Oh, <laughs> oh <laughs> climb. <laughs> God. What's that? Uh, when, when that comes back, when like K2 is introduced or something? No. <laughs> no. No. It's going to be too painful. No. It's already so painful. <laughs> Um, anyways, Bix and B2 have pretty good themes. Moving away from the sad stuff. <laughs> I love B2. Well, that wasn't the first volume, but it's a little, just a jazzy little theme. Bix has a really good one. It's like, do, 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 do. And it's like xylophones or bells. It's really nice. Uh, in other news, Kyle seemingly confirms by Cyril by saying- what? When He's never had a girlfriend or a boyfriend before. Oh. So true of him. 
<laughs> he, said, he said he said i'm being real intentional about what that casting obsession is <laughs> okay oh my god um, before we move on so i <laughs> i knew it was gonna happen while we were recording i am commissioning our bestie of the pod oh. ella is it done at, no okay. at cherry l on twitter for a very special commission <laughs> that I will not be sharing until, <laughs> until she posts it. So she just sent me the updated sketch and I'm going to read it live before we move on. I don't know if that, that was, uh, was that everything? That oh, happened no. One last thing that happened this week was <laughs> Paolo Villanelli, the artist for Bounty Hunters, decided to share a snippet of a panel from was it 30 or 20 or 31 I don't think, I don't think they specified it, it's either way just, um, scary it's 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 fucking dark it's fucking dark uh, no because I saw it and I was like oh that's not good and then I went to sleep and then I woke up and I was like shit that looks exactly like issue 29 but like the 1977 that's exactly what i said of okay. like valance gripping yeah vader's leg it, it, it's i put them side by side and it looks like no, almost identical it's, it's almost fucking identical I <laughs> ethan is gonna have to go into witness protection yeah like <laughs> it's it's going to be very bad for him and then i looked up bestine like the planet and it's an ocean Wikipedia. planet it's a it's an ocean planet so there's no giant vats of acid but there there's lots of oceans in which <laughs> can potentially drown so you know we're, we're doing great here so vats of acid cyro or vats of acid uh balance remains true <laughs> if they're gonna recanonize it <laughs> And then one last thing before we move on into our thoughts on this week's episode. Um, I think two days ago was the first time that Bounty Hunter 17 was published. And the first, and it's basically been the one year anniversary that I've been in the shits of Balance Nation. So <laughs> happy one year anniversary to me. That's Going all. Going strong. <laughs> Going extremely and surprisingly strong. <laughs> Um, if we're all done there, I believe we can get into our thoughts for this episode. So does anyone want to go first? I love this episode. I think this is my favorite episode I. so far. It was, oh, it was just so good. I can't, I just rewatched it like not even an hour ago. And I, I don't even have words to describe how much I love this episode. It's just like the pacing and the content in it was just so good it was so good I loved all the prison stuff the best though mm -hmm. just, yeah. oh. I think episode six is still my favorite um that'll probably change when I go back and rewatch but right now episode six is still my favorite but this is a very close second uh it was so so good we got so much information and mm -hmm. I really like the pacing and I know this has been talked about before, but the, the pacing is just so good. They go slow when they need to, and they pick it up and trust the audience to know or understand what has happened in the space between the episodes when they need to. And mm -hmm. I think that that is just really, really good storytelling. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, I have to agree. I rewatched the Aldani arc, and I think 
like all of those episodes are still my favorite. However, let's get this is like a really close one. I think each arc has kind of had that moment where it's like you're kind of like, oh shit, like it's about to. And like this one, I think was really for the prison stuff. Ooh, like yeah. really was the moment yeah. of like oh shit. And even the Mon Mothma stuff with like all the talk about what they have to do with the bank. Uh, it was really this moment of like oh fuck like it's about to really go go down um Mm -hmm. and once again this episode I mean I feel like every week I'm like oh this is like the best performance that everyone's ever given and then like each week I continue to be blown away by the performances like I mean, Andy Circus in this episode. I was literally just about to bring him amazing. up. Especially. <laughs> oh my God. Amazing. But I also, the Duncan Powell is killing it. Uh, Vel and Mon Mothma. Like it's, it's just like, I mean, some of the, I think the best acting in Star Wars that 100%. we've gotten. Like, it's just incredible. And it never disappoints. No. <laughs> like I would be, absolutely shocked if uh if almost there was not a like and or actor nominated in like every category for the mm-hmm. Emmys this year I mean Diego Luna especially I think mm-hmm. deserves a, a lead actor nomination like this mm-hmm. he's just yeah I I I've been tweeting out my thoughts on Twitter whenever I feel like it but this show just truly keeps on getting better and better. Like each episode, I, I'm i left literally saying like, that's it? Like I literally say out loud, that's it? But the way that it keeps on building suspense, but it also like lengthens out the arcs of these characters and builds them within each episode and like each passing scene. Um, again, the acting in this show, this episode specifically, top notch i cannot say enough good things about andy circus's performance in this episode i think he is the standout in this series for me obviously besides cassian and diego but his acting in this episode i rewatched it this morning it's it's you can see the gears turning and you can physically see the switches in his mind go off when like especially in the scene with Olaf, which I know we'll talk about, but you can see his decisions being made in the minutiae of Andy Serkis's face. Like, it's incredible. And I fucking love Andy Serkis and his character and what they're doing for this arc specifically. If we're talking about the, the yeah. prison arc, hmm? what'd you say? Oh, no, I was going to say with that. Oh, yeah, with that. Let's <laughs> get right in the shits of the prison arc. So... We can start off with Cassian's character. Um, and why don't you, or no, why don't we let our guests go first? Danielle, what did you think about Cassian in this episode? Uh, this is one, when I was talking earlier about uh, them picking up the pace when they need to and trusting that the audience will fill in the gaps of what they left out of the story on screen, Cassian's characters particularly comes into mind in this episode mm-hmm. because we see him kind of, you know, taking in everything in the prison in the last episode and or last episode or two. And then in this one, he's ready. He's ready to get out. He's ready to figure out a way. And he's working with people. He's trying to put everything together for an inevitable rebellion in the prison. And I think that that is so important to his character 
that we see eventually in Rogue One. This is how we get again to the Cassian that we see in Rogue One because he's willing to start and put everything on the line for this small rebellion. Soon that will transfer to a much larger one. And I thought that was so special about his character in this one. And he just never gets up, gives up that persistence that he has to just see everything through to the end. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also think this episode, like we're talking about seeing how we get the Cassian in Rogue One. I've loved how this show has really laid the groundwork for Cassian being such a good spy and how you can already see these, the skills that he has, how they will transfer over. And one thing I really noticed in this episode is like his ability to know exactly when to answer or when to ask questions and press people. Like he knows that the perfect opportunity to ask uh, Kino about the guards again is right after the Ulof thing. Mm -hmm. He knows, he knows when to press the medic for information. Like it's, it's so perfect. And it just establishes like why he makes such a good part of rebel intelligence because he is able, and like also just like the way we see him form connections. He's already so close with Melshi. We see him and that other guy when they're talking about the escape plan, um, even like him, him and Olaf, like how he is. And then also I think that leads to, Sorry, I have so many thoughts on Cassian this episode. Uh, This leads to the the ways in which I think we see, and we can get more into this on like when we see Bix, but the way that the Empire tries to turn people against each other and break down communities. Mm -hmm. And part of Cassian's resistance to that is always forming relationships. In this prison, he, he... immediately forms he he cares for Olaf and tries to help him he's giving credit to the other prisoners so they will trust him and so that they can start building a relationship him and Melshi have this connection where you can just see like even by the looks they give that they have this understanding of each other we saw it on you know even like especially on Ferrix with uh his relationships but like I just I love that about him that like part of that resistance is being like no you will not pit me against people who are suffering like I am you will not cause me you will not cause my relationships to break down because you want to suppress us I I love that and I I think you can see that continued on into the rebellion based on how many people follow Cassie and Descaris how many people are willing to trust him including Melshi, but I like, you know, how many people, and I'm assuming then the next episode, how many people will be willing to go along with his prison escape? How many, uh, you know, just like, it's so, it's so good. And it's such a simple way of showing, like Danielle was saying, how like Cassian is always fighting his own rebellion, even if he is not formerly a part of the rebellion, he is always resisting the empire. It's like he does it, and we talked about this before, it almost seems like he does it subconsciously at times, but it's what he's always doing. I just, this, I don't know if I, but like this series is really delivering on everything and more that I could have hoped for, for developing Cassian's character. It's really such a beautiful exploration of who he was and who he will be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that like what you said that he's always fighting some form of rebellion even if it's not the bigger one that he's always even with you know his his backstory is slightly different than what we thought it was going to be before Andor started he has always been resisting something 
some mm-hmm. larger entity he's always had to act in resistance to in order to survive and you just see that it's a continuous thread throughout his life that he's had to do that and it will ultimately lead to the rebellion yeah like I do think like I know that people were like okay well then what is that like I've been in this fight since I was six years old I do honestly think that it could just be he's been in this fight against resistance since he was Mm -hmm. six years old like we I think the assumption is that's when he lost his parents on fest so you know that going to you know Ferrix and resisting the empire's crawl there being put on prison Mimbam uh again with like the corpse uh on Ferrix Aldani um and also I love that he also has such like it's like, you know, when like, they're like, oh, rebellions is built on out. That's the same thing. Like his personal rebellion is, is built on the hope that he can get out. Like he has been through so much and it would be so easy for him to just give up, but he never does. And he never has. And I, I love that about his character. And I think that's so inspiring when we're talking about the ways in which this show really reflects the real world of like how it is so important for us as like to, to uh, for people to never give up and to understand that like you can always make an impact in ways big and small yeah going back to the um when he's in prison um and he's forming the relationships it's just since I read Rebel Rising last week, <laughs> it's just such an obvious contrast. Like it makes me think that maybe on Wobani they have to they split up every day. They're never with the same prisoners twice mm-hmm. when they're working. Is that a direct consequence of whatever is gonna happen on Narkina Five? Whoa. Whoa. That would be interesting. That's, that's <laughs> that would be what I thought yeah (laughs) yeah and like the switching up of the tasks instead of just having people go to the same Mm -hmm. one every every day day. with the same group yeah holy shit (laughs) (laughs) that would be shit yeah that's so good damn (laughs) (laughs) see aren't you glad i read rebel rising yes I'm telling you, Tony Gilroy is a Rebel Rising stan. Yeah. I'm telling you. That line last week that Saw said. I'm connecting. We're connecting. <laughs> oh um, uh, hmm? What? No, I was just going to say anything else on Cassian. Um, I, like Liv, I really haven't thought that very deeply about Cassian just because I've never been like a Rogue One person. But seeing the the growth that he's endured even like just in the first nine episodes and then we still have an entire freaking four years to go before rogue one is it's very rewarding and i love how they're building him up to be this really like hopeful and they're really building him up to be to be a leader and I love that that's where we see him in Rogue One and we get to see his growth and progression from then until then. And I've been thinking about this for a while, 
but because they're only doing like one arc for each year in between um, the ending of, of season one and the beginning of Rogue One, I would really like to see uh, a Cassian comic series, like going into more of those arcs that were maybe like scrapped or set aside um, for uh, the, the arcs that they decide to go with in season two. But I think that is something that we would need or like a book or anything because mm-hmm. I, not, not that I can't get enough Cassian, but I want to see more. I want to mm-hmm. see even more growth that he's go- that he's going through that we won't necessarily get to see within those three episode arcs. Yeah. And I'd love to, if it was a book, um, if we could combine a sort of present timeline with a past timeline of like the show does, or especially in the first arc that we see like going between that and like um, cause I don't know how much flashbacks we're going to see in the other seasons. Um, but like him, his life on Ferrix, his in prison, what finding on Mimbom was like for him. Um, especially because like, I think the Mimbom thing could be especially interesting given like what we saw Han go through in Solo. So getting more of that, I think could not only elevate Cassian's story, but then also like elevate that scene in mm-hmm. Solo. Cause if we know like what kind of the everyday stuff looked like for those soldiers then it like makes you like think even more about what like other characters who were on it experienced Mm -hmm. I think a Cassian book it has to be it would be stupid not yes for stars not to put out a Cassian (laughs) book after this um Mm -hmm. and I would probably expect it just because of the way they tend to put out the books that are connected to shows or games. I would either expect it very close to season two coming out if it only mm-hmm. focuses on things that happen before those last mm-hmm. four years or after, like a few months after season two ends if they, they want to combine the two things. So hopefully yeah. maybe in like 2024, 2025, I'm really hopeful because again, it would be really stupid for them not to jump on this. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Like, and it's like either, I think in that case, like, I think if it comes out between the seasons, having like a young adult book that covers mm-hmm. his teen years, and then if it's post season two, having an adult book that yeah. covers more of the other stuff um, mm-hmm. would be really good. And then you're appealing to, I don't know, it's like different audiences too, but I mean, I mean, not really us because we all read <laughs> any Star Wars, <laughs> they read, we kind of just read whatever Star Wars books they put out. Yeah. <laughs> I would love if they did the um, adult one for them to do the type of format they did for the Rogue One novelization with the data files in between yes. uh, some of the chapters. So I feel like that would or... fit so well with his story after he joins the Rebellion because he would yes. have to send this correspondence and yeah. all of that. You get to know more about I'm... Draven too and things like that. Yeah, I was just going to say like seeing transmissions between like Draven or Draven and, and Mon Mothma seeing more of like maybe writings from like Mon Mothma's like personal journals that we saw in Rogue One mm-hmm. um could be really interesting you could also include like transmissions between like Melshi and other people in the rebellion to really build out like not only Cassian but like several of the other characters that we mm-hmm. saw in Rogue One and the ways in which they connect to Cassian yeah I would love that speaking of Melshi I was literally just <laughs> about to say speaking of Melshi <laughs> 
I, I love what the she. fuck is I love him, but why does Kino hate him? Yes. Oh my god. When when he Kino goes to open his mouth and he's like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> and when and when Melshi says he set them free and Kino just like starts beating the I shit out of him. I'm sorry, that's very funny. Like the immediate switch that, and that like, was his final straw. Yeah. Like, I can't do this anymore. I can't hold back. <laughs> like every time. Well, she opens his mouth. Kino is like, "Oh, I gotta fight." Can <laughs> <laughs> I say I, I forgot that not everybody knew that Melshi was gonna be in this? <laughs> when he first showed up, my boyfriend was like, "Oh, that's that's the the Scottish guy that was in Rogue One," and I was like, "Duh!" I was like, "Oh, yeah. shit, you did it." I'm sorry. Oh, you didn't know. <laughs> I kept seeing people tweet. They're like, "What a treat!" Like what an unexpected <laughs> treat that Melsty is in it. I was like, I was like, oh right, not everyone has been obsessing over that beach picture for the past <laughs> yeah. year. I'm like, it's Melshi, guys. <laughs> a Melshi countdown going not, on. Not everyone is <laughs> mentally ill. Sorry, not, <laughs> not, not everyone is mentally ill. <laughs> yes, yeah, Sa- Savi's Melshi beach scene countdown. <laughs> what is it now? Three days. Yeah, yeah, because we think Three it's going to be a prison break episode oh god i mean what is it with cassian having like seemingly semi-romantic moments on the beach (laughs) this one seems to have a more positive outcome but like seems to seems to seems to yes what happens before that hug on the beach Poor Melchie and Cassian never had a good experience on the beach. (laughs) Never. (laughs) Maybe they got to go on a nice holiday. Um, Like that one comic short for Biggs and uh, and who was it? Porkins? Biggs and Porkins. Biggs and Porkins. (laughs) When they go to like the spa. Yeah. Yeah. Age of Rebellion. Republic number one. One shot. Or the no, Republic, Age of, age of Rebellion, Republic. sorry, that was my Age of Rebellion, yeah. Rebellion yeah. sending Melshi and Cassian on a, uh, on a required mental health day. Yeah. Oh my god, no. okay, that happened in Star Wars 29 too, but we'll, we'll get to that, we'll get to that. <laughs> a required mental health day. Yeah. They're like, they're like, by you, by it's not gonna <laughs> fix you, but it might help. <laughs> Y'all need to calm down for a minute, go take a break. <laughs> Okay. Come back when you're ready. <laughs> POV, gonna... Star Wars can't stop doing beach episodes. <laughs> <laughs> when in uh, Andor's season two, we're just going to have a whole, a whole episode where uh, Milshi and Cassian are at a spa. So it'll be like Mon Mothma <laughs> doing work. And then it'll just cut to like Milshi and Cassian with like a drink in their hand and mud masks <laughs> and cucumbers on their eyes. <laughs> it's what they deserve. So it is. true. It is. <laughs> but I have loved how they're establishing how long that relationship has been going. And it's really one of those moments where it's just like, now you're going to rewatch Rogue One and you're going to be like, fuck. <laughs> yeah. And like, yeah. and we said this last week, but then like him breaking, being the one to break Jin out of prison hits mm. so much harder knowing what he's experienced like him the trust of following Cassian because it seems like Cassian was the one who you know came up with the plan to get him out like that that bond that 
is just like not broken for the next five years like I I love that and I'm yeah and I'm curious to see if it's like you know if if Cassian kind of ends up bringing Melshi into the fold or if Melshi is like after this like oh I'm gonna join the rebellion and I know you already did stuff so you should come back like yeah. I'm I'm so curious also yeah. maybe Melshi for also a fulcrum ah, just saying oh, <laughs> is he a pathfinder did we talk about that or I, is he I think, I think so. so let me look I was trying to remember they say in the novelization, I think. Um, yeah. I think he's a part of the group that they refer to as the Pathfinders. Tess uh, Dameron, I'm counting on you. <laughs> yes. I'm yeah, he, I, Republic Special Forces. Yeah, he, he's a member of the Pathfinders. So yeah. Tess Dameron in season two. Tess Dameron in season <laughs> yes, two. Special, special Force Trackers unit. Mm-hmm. And, and ex- Extraction Team Bravo. <laughs> Which is... I really love how uh it's also funny because when you say like people didn't know everyone's like I don't know who Melshi is and I kept being like you remember the guy that Jin hit with a shovel (laughs) that's him and I was like to be fair that's how Jin also remembers him (laughs) like to be honest I did not remember who Melshi was when when we were doing the casting episode you guys were talking about Melshi I was like who is this and then and then when I think it was you or Savi that said um she was the guy that Jin hit with a shovel and then when I saw the Rogue One re-release I was like oh that's that's Melshi there he is Melshi sighting did they say his name in the Rogue One movie oh yes like once or twice yeah because she he signals to them and I think so does Bodhi Mm -hmm. uh signals to him but yeah. which I hadn't really watched Rogue One in like years so I like forgot his name <laughs> and I, I also forgot that Jin hit him in the face with a shovel so <laughs> that would also help for memory's sake but yeah right. I'm curious if we'll ever find out why Melshi is in prison maybe when they break out and they get to actually yeah. like really talk beach scene yeah. beach scene beach scene yeah beach they scene. have a they have a um, like little heart to heart moment. Yeah, heart to heart <laughs> on the beach. <laughs> and then oh finally, Cassian's gonna tell him that his name isn't really fucking Keith. It's Cassian. Yeah, it's Cassian. I keep forgetting they don't know that yet. <laughs> I said before, Mel, she's, she's gonna make, she's fun, gonna of make him. fun of him. <laughs> she's gonna make fun of him for picking a name fucking Keith. <laughs> and I, in like season two, he's gonna like they're gonna go undercover or something together, and he's and gonna, gonna, like, gonna use the name I call Keith? you Keith. <laughs> 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 I oh god I love Belshi he once again people are like he won the club shit all and he did he did once again, Tony said Tony said this show is not about your club shittos it's about mine <laughs> oh. I hadn't realized that um Melshi wasn't originally in Rogue One until the reshoot yeah. yes I didn't and know just until you told me yeah, I just found out when he did the interview a few days ago that came out and um, talking about how it was kind of a miracle that his character has made it this far because he wasn't even originally uh, in the movie. 
That's so cool. And I really like now that when you look back on it, it makes a lot of sense because a lot of the reshoots were around like I think they refilmed like almost all of the intro scenes and then like everything on Scarif and those are the scenes that yeah. is in. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like looking back, I'm like, oh yeah, that tracks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm also glad that he was included. Um and I'm also was gonna interested to see if any of the other prisoners end up joining the rebellion and also if then any of them end up on Scarif Scarif too Mm -hmm. I'd be really interested to see because clearly I don't think Kino does at least not on Scarif if she dies um, I'm gonna riot I'm sorry that's that's getting ahead of ourselves but I don't think I I don't know if Zal he does not seem primed for the rebellion (laughs) who knows he does not He is, however, very sexy, as Savi agrees with me. <laughs> no, he Listen, is. I used but he was that Duncan posted of him. Oh yeah. hmm And there. the scene in episode nine when he's covering Olaf and he has that like one strand of hair on his face. I get it. <laughs> I get it. You see the vision. I, I see the vision. I see it. It's beamed into my head and I see it. <laughs> also, I uh Slavi and I have talked a lot about this but I desperately need Duncan to dress up as uh Ted Lasso because he has a mustache <laughs> like he's grown a mustache <laughs> and he looks incredibly Ted like Lasso Ted Lasso oh my god he oh, wow. oh my god you're right so I very <laughs> desperately need him to do a, a Ted Lasso costume for something because it's, <laughs> it is too good. Also, this man posts on Instagram all the time. <laughs> <laughs> At least he has an Instagram. So true. <laughs> uh, Olaf. Olaf. R.I.P. R.I.P. That was, I, that was fucking, that was that nasty. Was like you have, you have shitty things to do, and then there's killing an old man because you don't want to deal with him anymore. Like, how anyone, I don't know how anyone could side or like defend the empire beforehand. But after this episode, if you're mm-hmm. still like rooting for the empire, like, hello, that's, that's <laughs> the biggest red flag. Yeah, is, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like if it if. If there's anything the show has done, it has been purely to show you why you shouldn't say, but the empire was right. Like, mm-hmm. if you're not taking, if you, if there's one thing you take away from the show, it should be that the empire was never right. And it's, a, and they're actually brutalizing innocent people. So like, it's, I, I, yeah, it's so, yeah, I don't, when Kino's like, he only has 40 days left, we just want to get him back on his feet, but then, like, knowing that, like, even when his 40 days are up, he just would have been transferred to Oof. another, another floor. level, oh my god, and, like, and, like, I just, like, I, I know we're getting into Kino a little bit with that, but, like, I just feel like it was such a moment of, like, you realize how much, like, Kino is, like, he, he's playing into the Empire, yes, but I do think this was a moment of him, you see how much he genuinely cares about the people who work under him. And I think part of this want to, this real control of like keeping his numbers up is not only for himself, but because he doesn't want these people to have to suffer anymore. Like he wants to see, he's he wants to see Olaf go free, just like he wants to see himself go free. And yeah, and I think 
and once again, it was such a a revealing moment for like characters like Melshi and Cassian to see how much they cared for him. Um, and how like once again they just want him, they want him to be free, like even more than all of them, because of like partially it seems because of his age and that. And I wonder how long he was there. Mm-hmm. That's and what like I, was I want to or if or if even like skiing he had been to other prisons and also it makes you think like they're like oh they specifically are placed in Arkina 5 because they're labor worthy and like think of I mean like if he is labor worthy one how desperate are they but two then if he was labor worthy how much this work just wears you down Mm -hmm. if he is if it's that is is that hard on his body that it's then causing him to have a stroke yeah that was that was a really tough scene to watch uh for all the reasons that you have both said but especially and I know that Hayden or uh Emily you already said this but especially knowing that it wouldn't have mattered if he did Mm -hmm. survive if they did save him and that it was almost almost like a mercy (laughs) Because, I was gonna say it's almost like yeah. a mercy. And that seems like what the doctor was kind of thinking as well, because he's a prisoner mm-hmm. there too. And uh it's just like how much it must have run him down, uh, knowing that as a doctor he can't actually save anyone. Or even if he yeah. does save them, it doesn't matter now yeah. because they're just yeah. being recycled to different levels. And yeah. This is different ways it hits everyone and wears them down and makes them complicit in what is happening because they don't feel like they have any other choice and that is heartbreaking and very 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 real also how entirely fucked is it to have another prisoner operating as a doctor no as a a special way to wear that person down where he has to keep he has to either do what he did with olaf olaf or he has to keep giving people medicine to keep them in shape to just go do more labor and like how just like that must fuck with you because it's it's like god and like even like because the assumption is like he would have to have some sort of like like he probably like you know was a doctor outside of prison and did something and like this idea that like the assuming that they take the same oath that like the doctors is to like do no harm and yet in Mm. in saving these people you are doing them more harm because you're Mm -hmm. just sending them back to this mm-hmm. horrible labor god <sighs> no this this show is fucking insane for what it's doing yeah i mean yeah god uh kino i he is probably my favorite character to come out of this show i don't know what it is but how i think seeing him because he's obviously been there a very long time like especially if he was kind of like the leader or like the leader of the block or at least like 5-2-D or whatever he's been there for a very very long time and I'm sure he's seen other instances like Olaf where they have older prisoners or like prisoners who are just about to get out um that he like either couldn't save them or he couldn't help them in any way but it's interesting to see how this incident is the incident that breaks him, is the incident that finally wears him down into constructing an escape plan. 
And I have to give all of the credit to Andy Serkis's phenomenal acting. Like I've, I've talked about this both on the last episode and, and a little bit on this episode, but he is blowing that shit out of the water. The way that you can see in his face, like the, the little like instances or like inklings of doubt that, um, that pop up, like, especially when, um, they're waiting in the hallway and they, and the power goes out and it comes back up when obviously that's probably when they were electrocuting floor two or level two. Mm-hmm. And then he yeah. says, he does the thing where they're on program. And then he says, um, it's just a rumor, blah, blah, blah. We're going to stand here, something, something. And then he lowers his voice and goes until we know what's going on, which really helps you see like he's second guessing, like no matter how long he's been here, he's second guessing his place in this institution. And then finally, Olaf is the thing that really pushes him over the edge because he's been leading him for so long. And assuming that he he is a leader, as you know, um, he has been working in this unit with Olaf for so long. And because of how he he like almost pleads with the med tech, saying like he only has 40 days left, like he was probably working with Olaf when he became the leader of the cell block. So like he mm-hmm. has both worked with Olaf and Olaf has worked under him. So they probably had a special bond of some sort that they really weren't or not able to, but that really ch- kind of changed when Kino kind of was promoted. And then mm-hmm. having to see him literally like mercy killed in front of him while he had to hold him down, like how how the fuck do you come back from that? Or like, how can you keep participating in a system that treats not only like your, your comrades, but just people that way. And I love the line when Cassian goes, how many guards on each floor? Finally see that resolution where he goes, never more than 12. That I was pumping my fist. (laughs) Just this in his whole arc within like the few episodes we've seen him has been so good. And he is kind of like the standout in this series for me, as I said in the beginning. Like Kino is, yeah, he he he's he's the guy. That's all I have to say on that. So <laughs> I actually read a really interesting interview with um, Andy Circus the other day. I can't remember where it was on, but he was basically talking about the backstory that he came up with for Kino. So Ooh. like, it's not quote-unquote canon because it's just like what the story that he came up with he didn't like consult anyone else but basically he said um before he was in the prison he was like a union guy and he was really big into workers rights and that's what got the attention of the empire and that's why he got thrown into prison so when he got into the prison and he was working and then he got high boosted up um he he wanted to put his past behind him and he just wanted to like make sure that he got out and everyone was like working well but I think it's interesting to look at this episode in that kind of lens where he used to be like a a union guy looking out for all of his fellow workers because you see that shift back into that that mindset in this episode uh, that was like if they did decide to make that like canon and official mm-hmm. like the way that particular wearing down to go from someone who yeah. 
was looking out for workers and the conditions they worked under to having to be complicit in these awful degrading uh workers conditions must yeah. have been absolutely awful and then I wonder too if you do that like I wonder with his past if, if something about Melshi reminds him of his past and that's part oh, of his like yeah. kind of anger towards him if like whether it's Melshi somehow reminding him of his past self or Melshi reminding him of like a worker that he used to like someone in his union or whatever mm-hmm. like that could add like a whole nother layer to that relationship as well and how his anger sort of comes out at Melshi mm-hmm. oh god that would that's so good he's such a good character like, I really wasn't yeah. expecting going into the show to say that Andy Serkis's character was going to be my favorite character. But honestly, he's he's my favorite character. Yeah. I, he's like, just his, so... Oh, go ahead. His process from, like, frustration to, to doubt, then to acceptance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, like, or, or, like, yeah, frustration, denial when he's not listening to Cassian and, like oh it's it's just it's so so good like in this episode especially when he goes from like ignoring Cassian when Cassian is asking him how many guards are in each level to try and formulate a plan when finally at the very end he responds and says never more than 12 like well it's like and then it's like nobody's listening and Kino is not listening but then in the end with the doctor he is he is listening yeah and also made me wonder, um, and I think I've seen people bring this up on Twitter, uh, how he knew that there's never more than 12, like he had to have been keeping count, even if it was mm-hmm. subconsciously, yes. or if maybe in the early, his early days there, he thought there might be a chance that he could get out. And so he started keeping count. And then the more he was worn down, the more he just kind he, of like, stopped caring. back. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and like his connection with uh like the other leaders it seems because he like talks to that one guy who ends up telling him mm-hmm. to know like I wonder how much they like also we're talking about maybe subconsciously shared that information yeah like if there was a reason or if there's maybe some reason even the prison would have told him that there were 12 guards I don't know mm-hmm. but oh god well I, I was thinking like maybe when they get promoted they get privy to certain information mm-hmm. Like maybe they have meetings with the guards or they interact with the guards more than like the standard prisoners to do, which is how he knows that there's usually never more than 12 or at least some number in between there. But yeah, I, I fucking love his character and I hope that he doesn't die, knock on whatever material table this is, <laughs> but I really want him to see him get out. But if it's only Melshi at that beach scene, <laughs> I mean, looking good. I think it's also possible that he might escape and then just like try to go home. Yeah. You know, true. like whereas like Melshi and Cassian might stay together, you know, particular because we know they'll end up in the rebellion together, but mm-hmm. Keto might end up going just away. Cause you know, like I feel like so many of these prisoners it would be tough for them. Like, I think as much as like some of them might join the rebellion, I could also see where it would be tough for them because like kind of Cassian, he just, they just want peace. They just want to be free. So I could imagine joining another fight for them might be hard. Yeah. And like, you know, like he might just be like, I, 
I just it's kind of like it's kind of like Han at the end of Solo in that way where Mm -hmm. they don't want to really fight for anybody they just want to make their own way in the galaxy and then maybe later he'll get picked up by or he'll pick up the rebellion um just in any way like maybe even just running supplies or something I don't know what again we don't know what Kino did outside of it but I hope that he does find peace and I hope all the other prisoners find peace especially if they're like this is a psychological torture box essentially like when you really Mm -hmm. boil it down it's a psychological torture box so I just hope that all of them you know depending on what they did they they get out of this and they they seek the peace that they deserve and you bringing up peace earlier when you first started talking about how um he could not join the rebellion and other prisoners might not join the rebellion um made me think of in the rogue one novelization the extra dialogue we get from galen in his hollow message to jen when he says um that he can't imagine that she wouldn't be a part of something like the rebellion but if she chose to just go and live in peace and be happy then that was more mm-hmm. than enough and that made me think of that like that would be a really good like kind of subtle connection between so, yeah yeah oh it's and it's and yeah and also like the way that ties back to like Marva and Cassian's conversation of like and the ways in which it's really sad when you think about it because like their parents who are just hoping that their child has peace not knowing that they've now spent months of their life in a in a labor prison working and slowly being worn down at mentally the only other thing I want to say with the prison is the nobody's listening to do you think anybody out there is listening (laughs) Tony Gill you're gonna hell (laughs) (laughs) Tony Gill right not seeing heaven no he's not he's not seeing those pearly gates (laughs) (laughs) but it's so it's so good it's it's one of those perfect subtle connections to specifically scarif like we see the nebic to k2 climb climb thing (laughs) the do you think anybody's out there listening yeah (laughs) just perfect i can't uh anything else on the prison stuff for what it's trying to do it is doing it perfectly and exceeding what it's setting out to do i i love this arc i do also love the aldani arc but i love this arc more for what it's doing for cassian Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i agree Mm -hmm. this this is more this arc is uh, more continuously tense Yes. Like, yes. Aldani, there were moments of just trying of, to like levity know. and not even levity, but like a space to breathe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kind of like the peace before the storm, you yeah. know, and everything mm-hmm. like that, or the calm before the storm. And then with this one, it's just everything is life or death at mm-hmm. this moment. Every yeah. single second they spend in that prison is life or death. And it really shows through the pacing and through just the general feeling that you get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah uh Coruscant so we'll start with Mon Mothma she's kind of our biggest well I guess and the other two but we also did not see Luthan in this episode so you're right this was the first episode we didn't see him or was he in the first the very first episode I think I don't think he was in the very first but 
yeah I think he showed up because yeah the second we saw him like flying in but yeah this is the first episode we have not seen him at all uh but we did see Mon Mothma I tweeted about this earlier today I fucking love what they're doing with her in this show um because she's usually seen as like the shining beacon of the rebellion usually like the the ideal the idealist of the group I really love the scene between her and Tay when Tay is encouraging her to meet with that guy Da da not not Davu Frick Davu Dav da, Davos Davos yeah Davos? Davos no Davos. not Davos oh. Game of Thrones flashback oh <laughs> but that the, the the banker guy the bad banker guy it shows her like weighted with this choice that she has to make between her morals and the rebellion which also is her morals but like having to make that choice between which one matters more um i i love her in this in this show and because we're oh go ahead oh i was just gonna say like going off the her having to choose between the two this is like maybe the first time that she's actually having to put her credibility and her Mm -hmm. reputation on the line publicly for the rebellion Mm -hmm. And that is obviously a choice that's probably going to lay heavy with her and think, am I willing to sacrifice the way people view me, the way potentially my daughter is going to view me even potentially worse than she already does (laughs) in order to keep funding the rebellion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, and I, I love the decision. I, there were theories, of course, but I, absolutely love the decision to make Val and Mon Mothma related I love that I like I I like that it's not I think I know a lot of people are theorizing that they were sisters that would have been cool but I do like how there is that little bit of separation between them like they're just cousins but I I love that I love you know Val is running away from like the fate Mon Mothma has Mm. a little bit in in being in the rebellion that how she is but also like the scenes together with them together of I I mean one I like how Val seems to almost want to separate her herself because she doesn't want to be attached because of like what Cinta said like having these personal relationships like the struggle comes first we take what's left and her quoting Cinta again but also like they're both so lonely mm-hmm. but and they mm-hmm. only and they only really have each other who like kind of fully understands what the other is going through, but mm-hmm. they can't even stay together for long because they just have to keep fighting the way that they are. Mm-hmm. And like, and I think that it, the last scene where you see Mon Mothma standing in like her hallway. No, I was going to bring that, that back shot. And framing. she's so lonely. Mm-hmm. I just like, I love it. And I loved seeing Belle in this persona of you know careless rich girl living off of her family's wealth being the the cool aunt that comes to visit Lita the the aunt who doesn't want to get married and settle down <laughs> like wink wink <laughs> get married and settle down with a man <laughs> we could add parent being homophobic to our <laughs> that parent is the worst <laughs> it's just I I loved seeing seeing that and also the ways in which that wears on Val 
how she really you can see she wants to give herself fully but like she does have to maintain this cover to like mothma to really give herself to the rebellion mm-hmm. i think yeah. it's interesting to see the dynamic between their two characters because they're both cut from the same cloth but it's interesting to see the decisions they take that lead them on the paths that they're on that's yeah and then i remember i was re-watching the episode and the shot the shot came on the screen that you brought up emily and you can see how once vel and her driver leaves that she is basically dwarfed by these kind of door frames and the high ceilings and you can see she's just so alone and she's so present in this space but also not present because of the framing of the shot just chef's kiss chef's kiss that's all i have to say yeah it was nice to see um so well so far when we see mon mothma in her own home it had it had been she was so lonely and she was isolated from her daughter and her husband was pushing her away and isolating her like there he was intentionally isolating her and she has no one to back her up no one on her side and then when Vale's there it's completely different Mon Mothma almost she's more comfortable mm-hmm. she's more relaxed mm-hmm. at the kitchen table she is smiling and happy and finally someone's there to call Perrin out that's not her and Lita yes. won't get mad at Vale yeah. the way that she gets mad at Mon Mothma and then as soon as Vale leaves like you said it's just the physical even though we, we don't see her face you can see it in her body mm-hmm. language yeah just how much the it weight goes back yeah mm-hmm. of that crashing down on her again mm-hmm. yeah if i oh and it's so sad because you can see in that scene she almost just she wants to like joke around with lita right mm-hmm. she wants to be like oh ha, that's so like your dad's not gonna let you wear that like haha funny joke and lita like is like he lets me do whatever i want like this so i personal. was about to throw <laughs> hands with a 13 year old even though <laughs> even though like mon mothma never said that she wouldn't let her wear it yeah like she, thought, Mothman, she said it looked nice like <laughs> yeah yeah mon mothma never said anything and val's face when she sees it she's like oh nice. <laughs> taking that gift back <laughs> yeah it's like when you it's like when you have it like she clearly like i think that's the biggest indication of, like they probably haven't seen each other in a while and no. like she's like oh this relationship wasn't was different the last time i was here yeah well, speaking of the dress, when I saw it for the first time, I I literally thought there was going to be a tag, tag, name drop. Like, and then you it tweeted looks, about it, Liv. It, it looks, looks like, like Domina's dress. Yeah. Except with, like, different, like, sleeves and a but neckline. Like the, same, the same material and everything. Yeah. When she said Tassio Moon, I was like, is that is that a tag corporation planet? I, I literally I had to go on Wikipedia and look it up because I couldn't. Rest. No, because no, okay, no, wait, 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 because we have Cassio Tag, right? Yes. So Tag, you use the T from ta- Tag. Exactly. Cassio. Yeah. That's Cassio. why I was like, it sounds like a tagged name. Oh my god, wait, wait, There's no mention of it anywhere. Wait, what if the comic character we see is Domina? Stop, don't. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't handle that. Um, I, as we were recording, I was, I thought back to that one tweet by Kyle Katarn when he said there's going to be a big comic character that appears, but like, if, 
if they're really dealing with like corporations and corporations dealing with the government, the tag corporation could feasibly show up because remember they also have general tag who was on the death star when it blew up and that was like his whole segue in uh star wars volume one the tags could reasonably show up and they still have like other nephews and siblings or whatever being put into like the isb and the military like they could feasibly show up so yeah the tag tangent over (laughs) that was that was the part they still be a gif yeah, my, that was the Pepe Sylvia gif moment of this episode. <laughs> but yeah, going back to Mod Mothma, who were we originally talking about? <laughs> I have been loving what they've been doing with her in this series. I think I said that before. I don't remember. But I, I'm finding myself growing more and more fond of her. And I find myself, like, she's been showing up a couple times in Star Wars 2020. She actually showed up twice in one day (laughs) a couple weeks ago, I think, with Andor episode seven, six or seven, and in Star Wars 28, which is when they find out that there's a second Death Star being built. And she kind of comes to the decision to say, if we can, if we blew it up once, we can blow it again. We can blow it up again. Um, but yeah, I I love Mon Mothma in this show, and I'm starting to like her more in just like the general Star Wars realm. Yeah, I think this show was exactly the development that she needed. Oh, definitely. Um, I think I think it's a lot of the personal life that has been lacking from her character in a lot of other stuff things that we have gotten from Bail Organa um from from Hera from even someone like Sagarera where we we saw them with their families we saw them outside of the rebellion but we never have seen Mon Mothma like this and it adds a lot of weight to her character especially because her home situation is so much different than Bail Organa's where Bale has, you know, this loving wife and a daughter who who loves and looks up to him and wants to be like him. Mon Mothma has a fucking horrible husband and a daughter who is going through her angsty teenage phase and doesn't like her anymore and who your husband is seemingly actively turning against or like turning her against you. It's, yeah. And even like your childhood friend, like Tay, like she's a weird relationship with him now because of this rebellion stuff, like... It's so, it's so interesting. It's what we needed. Like, I loved seeing the politician Mon Mothma, of course, in Return of the Jedi and Princess and the Scoundrel, which we actually see, like, her kind of let down her guard a little bit in Princess and the Scoundrel when she's talking about, when she's talking to Leia about marrying Han. But this is probably what we needed for her character. I agree. Yeah, I really like that. You know, in, in the Rogue One novelization, I talk about this because I just finished it like a week ago, so it's still yes. very fresh in my mind. Um, but there's so many parts, either if it's in like the short little POVs we get from her or in the uh, data files where she's thinking about everything the rebellion has cost other people, not just her, mm-hmm. but in things that she's personally had a hand in. So like with Jen, she thinks she apologizes to her for what the rebellion has taken from her and mm. what they've asked her to do. And this I didn't know that. Show, <laughs> yeah. This show <laughs> is 
really adding so much to that and showing how we get to there and how heavy it, it weighs on her mind more mm-hmm. so than it does like Luthen. It, yes. She takes this very personally and she genuinely does not want people to have to sacrifice for this, but she knows that they have yeah. to. Yeah. And like the idea that like Mon Mothma really feeling what other people have had to sacrifice because I mean, like, I love Bale, but, like, and Bale has sacrificed, but he sacrificed in different ways that didn't include alienating the people that he was closest with, whereas Mon Mothma had to sacrifice, you know, we don't know how, her family, we don't know how close she she was with Perrin before, but she, it definitely seems like she's at least had to sacrifice her relationship with her daughter, there is some sacrifice in the relationship with her and Belle, like, that's, that's a lot for her, and yeah it's just it's so hard so she has to lie to everybody in her life and Mm -hmm. Bale at least didn't have to do that he he had Freya eventually he had Leia that they could confide in each other and Mon Mothma sacrificed honesty really I guess in her life yeah like the only person she seems to have is Bale and Freya and even then she can't be around them constantly they're not Mm -hmm. someone that she has she can be in constant contact with like yeah and it's it's sad it's so upsetting like I'm so sad right now <laughs> yeah like she can't and even be the, herself in her own home <laughs> that's what is really so upsetting. sad <laughs> and then like also I just realized too like it's so sad when you think about the fact that her and Padme were the same age and this whole time too like towards the beginning she's also having to deal with mourn the death of her friend mm, yep. her friend her pregnant friend yeah an ally for her like that mm-hmm. it like in the beginning when she was planning all this she's also having to deal with that grief and thinking about when she's maybe pregnant with Lita what she's thinking about how you know yeah oh Padme and Padme's daughter or Padme's children and Lita could have played together do you think Lita and Leia meet Ooh. About the same age, aren't they? I think yeah, Leia I think would be a little younger. Lita's a little younger. Yeah. Like I two years max. I, I would be interested in seeing how Lita would act around Leia, because Leia kind of has a thing yeah. where she kind of acts the same around everyone. Yeah. Lita <laughs> switch um so I'd be interested to see what Leia thinks of Lita and also honestly what Lita thinks of Leia yeah mm-hmm. I feel like Leia would be very perceptive of because that's her whole thing she's very perceptive yes. she's very understanding of how people are actually feeling and I think she would maybe be able to sense something in Lita that let her know that what she's putting on is really a front yeah how upset she is about not having the relationship with her mother that she ultimately wants yeah mm-hmm. and even like I can imagine just like Lita's maybe sadness about seeing the way that Leia interacts with like Bale and um and Brea and thinking because it's not even like it doesn't even really seem like she has the relationship that like say Leia and Bale do with yeah. Perrin and like how yeah that could maybe yeah oh god it'd be so good if we could see them interact especially since we know Leia does go to Coruscant with yeah. Bale um, anything else on Mon Mothma or related Mon Mothma characters this week? Nope. Pei is still a Delph. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm intrigued to see where his story goes. Me too. I don't know too. if I fully trust him yet. 
Although I'm like that with everybody in the show. (laughs) (laughs) I, my whole thing is, I think, because he's a part of the royal and I part of, I think, I don't remember who said it, but somebody was like, oh, maybe he's more like on the Saul Guerrero kind of mm. side of it and that, that might was me. Or, I said that oh that was you okay <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, how that might form how that could maybe lead to like uh, a kind of division between him oh, and definitely Mon-Mothma because Especially. of Mon-Mothma's, uh yeah. opinions on how Saul operates and how maybe Tay's like mm-hmm. well I think that he is doing what needs to be done right now and you're taking things too slow yeah. mm-hmm. something like that and of course that leads into rebels yeah mm-hmm I'm very excited for season two when we see Mon Mothma leave the yes. Empire. Mm-hmm. Or I wonder how how they're gonna like weave that in. They'll just be yeah. like subtle. I wonder if we'll see what? more of the lead up to that. Yeah, like her speech. Maybe we'll oh, actually I, see the actual. Oh speech. my god, I would hope so. That'd be so good. And then yeah. also like her. I know they like take her, but like imagine like seeing her arrive on Yavin Four for the first time. Because we know we're they, gonna be on Yavin. <laughs> yeah, because Tony has said we're we're gonna be on Yavin. So seeing her arrive there, seeing seeing the first meeting on Yavin four, or like the first Mon council, Mothma, with first all council the... where you see and like seeing Cassian standing in the shadows like he did mm-hmm. in the beginning of Rogue One, watching yeah. everything. Man, and I want to see the tension between her and Draven because. Mm-hmm. They both understand what the other person has to do and why they have to do it that way. But there is tension there because yeah, it's, you know, Draven is a much more, we do what we have to do. Mm-hmm. Mon Mothma is a more, I want to do this with as little loss as possible and as legal as possible. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like her relationship with Saw, but like leveled down a little bit. Yeah. Um, I'm also curious to see if we'll actually see her meet Draven and then also Anton because like Anton was like seemingly like her personal pilot almost uh and yeah Draven like I'd be so interested to see them meeting and also maybe seeing like them interacting more I would love to have Uh, Anton back I love him I love him so much I cry every time I see him I really hope he's back for season two. I feel like once again, he, I feel like he and, and Draven would be the, that perfect yeah. addition and perfect, uh, especially for Anton, that perfect building to just make his death hit that much harder in Rogue One. Uh, I miss them. <laughs> I miss, I miss Anton more. Draven and I have issues with but... Yeah, like you can, uh, you can be in the background. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. But I am interested because originally it was or originally what we were told was that he was the one that recruited Cassian. Yeah. It so I'm I'm interested to see if something similar will play out. Yeah. I'm in, I'm intrigued by that because again in the in the novelization, Cassian mentioned something about how he's let his mentor down. And I have like a sticky note there because he never specifies who his, which mentor he's talking about. And I have a sticky note there where I'm like, which mentor? Who are you talking about? I, when I was reading that, I was like, I think, I don't know who I wrote, but I said the same thing. I was like, oh, I feel like we're going to see this and or, and now I'm wondering if it's like, is that Luthen? Is that Marva? Is it, is it like, is it someone else that we don't know? And yeah. who it is really will like signify what Cassian thinks of himself at this time, because 
if it is Luthen he's talking about, then he's thinking he's not being harsh enough. He's thinking he's not doing what he needs to, whatever he needs to do to get through. If it's Draven, maybe he thinks he's not being calculated enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's Mon Mothma, then maybe he thinks he's not being generous enough or considerate enough. And it's just yeah. like, it really depends on who that mentor is meant to be. Yeah. And so, yeah. Oh, that would, I'd be so curious. And like, yeah, especially if it's Luthen and then something happens to Luthen in season two. Yeah. Uh, and he's, yeah. Oh, I'm, yeah, that line I feel like is going to hit really hard after season two, yeah. whatever happens. Even someone like Val could technically yeah. be a mentor figure yeah. to him, considering all that, like, kind of they went through. Or Nimit. Oh my God. I, I, yeah, I was like, I just thought of the manifesto, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the mentor in like this idea of the yeah. manifesto. Yep. Mm. RIP. Uh, <laughs> RIP. When are we getting the manifesto back? <laughs> I know. Please. I, I wonder if that's why he goes back to the beach. And then part of me is like, do you remember that they were handing something over? I think it looked like a blaster, but I'm like, what if Cassian also gives Melshi the manifesto after mm. he reads it? Mm. Oh, no. And then Melshi's the one who tells him rebellions are built on hope. Oh, <laughs> that would be a nice little family passing down. Melchie to Cassian, Cassian to, Cassian. to Jen. <laughs> and like, and then like, imagine like then Melshi hearing it in that meeting, mm-hmm. and that's also part of the reason he knows Why that he like he should go. He's like, yep, because Jen, yeah, because yeah. he knows that Cassian trusts her enough. Yeah. At- mm-hmm. Tony that Gilroy, he saw something in Jin. You go to hell. That he believes in. <laughs> Tony Gilroy, you are not seeing the pearly gates. No, <laughs> sir. Keeping heaven from Tony Gilroy. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> That's going to be a point of interest. <laughs> we can we can cut that part out, but I'm I'm writing it down right now. Uh. Next, we'll uh, go to Cyril and then Dedra, and that'll lead us nicely into Bix to finish us out. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think M- it was MJ last week that said the S in Cyril stands for soccer. Uh, she was right. <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I have said I liked Cyril, and I stand by that I like him as a character. If I knew him in person, I would fucking hate him. Uh, I know that for a fact. I, the thing with Cyril to me that I think is interesting, and I, I this doesn't excuse his behavior. I want to make that clear because what he did with Dedra was creepy. Uh, and he said, like, so he's like, he's, he watched Pride and Prejudice and thought he was Mr. Darcy. <laughs> he is not. I think what's interesting, and Kyle, what Kyle said just kind of confirmed this was that it's so clear that Cyril has not had a normal relationship ever in his life. He just said that he's never had any sort of romantic relationship. And I think we see this to me in more than just his interactions with Bedra. If you think back to his interactions with his boss, with his coworkers, with the guy who was interviewing him, it's all so awkward. It's yeah. all so weird. He says weird things, he acts weird. The only time we see him comfortable is around his mother. 
who is and that's never a positive interaction yeah (laughs) it's and this one especially this something about this week hit really hard with his mom of like I made you so you need to be thankful to me oh boy (laughs) it's the only time that we seem comfortable and it's never positive and it's just like you're like oh this man has never ever had a a nice relationship in his life and and he's so desperate for someone to see him he's so desperate for positive validation that it drives him to obsession and it comes out in bad ways like that's what's I like it's he is so yeah he's just so desperate for anyone to recognize him and you know Dedra's like what the fuck like she's like <laughs> she yeah like she said oh you saw me or like when we talked that was a that was an interrogation what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> like he's so desperate and like it's sad like it's really sad and not in the way that you're like oh poor him but like it's just sad to see that and you're like you don't have to do this you shouldn't be living for the validation of other people you need to seek that within yourself you shouldn't be living to hope that one day someone will recognize you because what you did like yeah and I mean it's clear because like he just never got it at home that he just never got anything that he wanted from his home and now he's seeking it anywhere else in his work now with Dedra and yeah I don't know it's so it's so interesting because in some ways I think what's so great about the villains in Andor is that is kind of a relatable feeling right like not to his extreme but this idea that all of us just want positive validation all of us want to be seen all of us want someone to acknowledge us um in the same way that I think a lot of women related to the struggle that Dedra had at the beginning of just wanting to be treated well in an off space and having to work twice as hard to accomplish what your male colleagues are. But, and I think that is such a clear way of like how we can all slip down a path to being bad. Yeah. In the most extreme way of this show, how you can slip into fascism, but just in your regular, how that can turn you into doing bad things for for you know internally you think you're you're doing the right thing or you're doing what you want but externally it is it's horrible and it's bad Mm -hmm. yeah I think that uh is it Cyril or is it Cyril I've been calling him Cyril I think think it's Cyril and I think I just say it wrong despite the fact (laughs) (laughs) I talk about it so often and I've never pronounced it right (laughs) Um, but I think, I think that he is brilliantly written and brilliantly acted. Mm-hmm. Um, and that makes his character really intriguing, no matter which way you look at it, whether you like him as a character, whether you can't bring yourself to like him as a character, it is, there's no doubt, yeah, there's no <laughs> doubt that he is a brilliantly acted and brilliantly written character. Um, otherwise we wouldn't be having like these polar opposite opinions, I think. And I also, like you said, how it shows that you can connect on some instances with these horrible characters. And that is so important because it shows 
in the same way that Andor is showing how you can be hopeful and how you can do the right thing in horrible situations, it is also showing the mirror of that, which is in horrible situations or from horrible upbringings, you can also do the bad, do bad things and go down a different path. And I think yeah. that this is like why these different storylines are we have Mon Mothma and Cassian and then on the opposite end, Dedra and Cyril, and then kind of in the middle, Luthen, these different POVs to show those different paths you can go down. You can go down the path of the rebellion. You can go down slightly off that. You can go down the polar opposite of that. And just how easy it is to do that, that none of us mm -hmm. are uh, safe from that one. Yes. Uh, all it takes is one choice or multiple choices to bring you down that path. And in like with Anakin, it's easy to separate that, I think, because he's we grew up with him as Darth Vader and we knew what he was going to become. And he was just kind of separate enough for that to just be kind of, of course, that's what's going to happen. It's different when it's a reflection of mm -hmm. your society and very real people. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. that it is part of what makes it so amazing is that it's able to do that. Yeah. Mm. And and I think like these two characters in particular, but like Cyril, it's such a great example of your past can explain your behaviors, but it does not excuse them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we see that a lot in real life. Like, you know, um, just because you've had a hard time doesn't mean that you're allowed to be a horrible person because there are yeah. plenty of other people who have had hard times who do not, aren't horrible. Mm -hmm. um, and also what you say is brilliant acted. I think not only are they brilliantly acted, but uh, when you hear Denise and Kyle talk about these two characters, the way that they approach them with this deep understanding and kind of nuance, but also like this recognition, I think that's what makes them so good too. Is like, you can tell they haven't just decided, like I, they are the bad guys, right? But they haven't just said, they're the bad guys, that's it. They're, they're, they understand the layers to their characters and they understand what motivates them and what drives them. And that is what makes them, in this episode in particular, I think both of them gave such fantastic performances. Um, also because we saw them in such different situations. Um, and like, I think that is, it, it just, it makes them so good and it makes them such compelling villains for this series I like it when villains aren't just they're terrible because you know they're terrible I like it when we have that background for them that we know what makes them tick and we also know how okay that same thing could have also caused like either of them to I think in this case like defect it's like Dedra they don't care it's like Cyril they don't care about you leave or it's like Dedra like you're doing all this work for people who do not see your worth leave. Like, it's so easy to see, like, you're kind of like wanting to scream, like, you're better than this, but they're not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the ways, but then that's a good reflection for you to say, like, oh, then like, if I'm in this situation, or like, not the, you know, clearly you're not, we're probably not going to end up in the exact situation, but you know, when you're going a little <laughs> too far, maybe trying to seek the positive validation of especially bad people, yeah. think to yourself, like, yeah. I think it's a, it's a really good opportunity for self-reflection and mm -hmm. that is another element of the show that I feel like is so important and that I mean lots of Star Wars does that in its own way but 
I feel like Andor is really kind of hitting at home like oh you're rooting for this character look what she just did like yeah. oh you're you're starting to relate to this character look what he's just done just, yeah. and yeah and so it's a good opportunity to just constantly remind yourself like I said earlier that anyone is capable of doing yes. these horrible things yeah this yeah it's such a good way to give you the relatable premise and it's like um and I think like, I don't know, for some reason, this also makes me think of like, I think this show does it really well with Cyril in the same way kind of Bad Batch did it with um, Crosshair. Like mm-hmm. this, you understand where he's coming from with like, he's upset that his brothers essentially left him and did not come back from, even though we know that they were trying to, whatever. But like, so it's like that relatable, but that doesn't excuse what he did. Yeah. Well, it's like Tech says, because uh, Crosshair asks Tech why he's defending him and Tech says I said I understand you not that I agree with you and that yeah like he under you understand why they act the way they do but you don't agree with it and you would never support that mm-hmm. yeah I'm just and I'm so I'm so interested to see where these two characters lead especially because it seems like um they are both coming back for season two yeah, because they said that they had signed on when, for the full five years when it was originally going to Yeah, and, and yeah. Kyle recently uh, shaved his beard again um, and said, like, he posted a picture. It was like, uh, goodbye, whatever character he was playing before. Hello, Cyril. Uh, so he shaved his beard and, yeah. I they start filming here. Well, not, not here, here, but in the UK in a couple of weeks, I was just like, Hey, maybe here, here <laughs> when you're like I'm randomly walking past something and you're like, Oh my God. <laughs> Diego Luna. Yeah. I would die immediately. Oh my God. God. Danielle's going to start stalking yeah. locations to get us all. She's going to enter her serial era. Oh God. <laughs> When Danielle is all of the Andor season two leaks. <laughs> I would never. <laughs> Bespin Bulletin found dead in the water. Anyway. Killed him. Those, those fuckers spoiled the fact that little Leia was going to be in Obi-Wan. I'm so mad. I haven't forgiven them. They did? No. They did. Like I, a year and a half I, ago. I That's how I do. Oh, I also saw them claiming they were like, oh, we broke the news of Melshi. No, you didn't. They didn't because Andor News posted it like a month before they reported on it. They posted the beach pictures. You know what they also did? They claimed that mud troopers were going to be in Andor, which like technically, yeah, but actually they're Imperial, like not Navy, but they're, um, what is it? Like Imperial Army. I think that's the technical term for them. So like they, they were wrong. And I don't trust them and I don't like them very much. Scoopers, <laughs> scooper culture has ruined how we watch media, which again yeah. is a discussion for a different episode, maybe not even on this yeah. podcast, <laughs> but like, it's different than, oh, you know, these people got these set photos. Like it was with the beach stuff. Like that's pretty public. Yeah. It's, we didn't know the context of it at all. Mm-hmm. But like um, spoiling the fact that, young Leia, Leia is, Organa young is gonna be in fucking Obi-Wan Kenobi like that's a little different <laughs> I would give yeah. anything to have not, not known that yeah or I not know it no, I didn't either <laughs> I like I'm so jealous because I yeah. saw it and I tried to pretend like I didn't see it and tried to erase it from my memory <laughs> and I was like maybe they were wrong maybe she won't be sometimes you know, I really want her to be 
<laughs> sometimes when you see those things too you're like they're just wrong yeah you're like yeah. they're not they're lying for yeah. clicks <laughs> and then like, yeah. like, like the the comic book resource um article that said omega or no cadelia was omega are you fucking kidding me doesn't even make sense it makes absolutely no sense them, them seeing the dots are not connected. Children, I've connected <laughs> the joke is Cadelia isn't even blonde. <laughs> she, has, she has red hair. That was like how Andy. I love how Andy Circus had to come out and be like, no. Like they were like, they're like, are you oh, Snoke? Like, are you? I know he just wanted to look them in the eye and go, are you fucking stupid? <laughs> That's so embarrassing. Like genuinely so embarrassing. I saw that and I was like, I don't want to be a Star Wars fan anymore. No, yeah. I'm like, imagine taking your interview time with Andy Circus to ask that question. No, would never be me. <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, we're going to pretend like that doesn't, that never got voiced. Yeah. Whoever asked him about the backstory, that's the questions mm-hmm. yeah. that we need yeah. to yeah. be asked. Not fucking Thank is you. Snoke and Andor. Are you kidding is, me? Is this- it the same character? <laughs> are you, there Wait, are ways to they ask, ask it too. They were the same character? Yeah. Or something. He like or asked something. about. They, I think they asked about the rumor or the like, the theories is about it, is that. It, yeah. Yeah. And, and the like, thing is, no. is that there are creative ways to ask that without actually asking it. Like being like, oh, how does it feel to be back in Star Wars after playing Snoke? And then he yeah. can talk about this. It would be kind of, okay, clearly these aren't the same characters. Well, also, yeah, because then he could have been like, oh, it's fun. And like, I've seen the theories that like I'm playing Snoke. I'm not. Yeah. And also like, then that would have been an actually interesting question because it's like, mm-hmm. oh, like, how does it feel to be in Star Wars? Like you were in a mocap before. It's a different character than what you're doing yeah. here. It's a movie versus a TV show. That could have led to a very interesting discussion and said he had to be like no no you idiot <laughs> <laughs> it's like like michael to dwight dwight you ignorant slut. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes i just feel this is what i felt like poor diego luna when they kept people just kept on this press for asking him about java and he and like i think at one point he was like i just wish people would stop asking me he <laughs> did say that yeah he did oh i was like God. oh <laughs> I was like, poor, poor man. man. <laughs> Same brain. Uh, Dedra. She was fucking Honestly, scary. No, she was scary. So scary. That first scene. This, oh my god. This is some no. of the most scared I've ever been of an imperial character. Yeah. That Bix's scene was just like. No, that was that. That was hard. Um, that was the hardest. The part watch. where um she asks Bix. When was the last time you saw Cassie and Andor? And Ka- or Bix's response is, "You're not gonna believe me." And she goes, "No." I tell you, and she says, "No." And like the look on her face, the way her lip twitches, I'm like, "Oh my god, this is the scariest thing I've ever seen." It's <laughs> like the... she didn't even do anything. <laughs> no, just the 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 cold, the calculation, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the the everything. Like it's crazy also that doctor guy was scary to me dr gorse because he was so calm chill yeah yes Mm -hmm. he was he was just like it was like he was like i said i'd be a joke but like info dumbing about torture but like his tone it wasn't even like he was trying to scare bix it was just like this is information you might want to know and you're like you're talking about using the screams of children yeah to torture someone Mm -hmm. yeah that was just that was hard and that was like I know that a couple of people like 
Camilla have talked about this on social media about how relatable it is in that for you know a lot of Latina people and people of color whose communities of the past were tested like things were tested on them ways of torture were tested on them mm. and medicines and all these other things were tested on communities of color and yes. marginalized communities first and yeah. to see something like that reflected in Andor it just adds like so much to it and it's so incredibly painful and especially on you know the fact that Adri Arjona is is Latina and mm -hmm. to have that reflected that closely is just another layer of how how close Andor gets and how personal it gets uh for a lot yeah. of people and that was just yeah it was painful <laughs> yeah, yeah it was it was such a a hard scene and then later in the episode where she's talking about the pilot um and she's just like kill him basically yeah yeah like her her coldness and her and calculation almost her nonchalantness I feel yes. like. like especially in that meeting when they were talking about like how to kill the pilot like she just like casually brings up oh make it look like a mechanical failure like yeah like solving how? a problem at work like just yeah like, oh here's here's how we can do this yeah like this complete separation that the empire has from viewing these as real people yeah they view them as problems well, and, with and Pac, means to an end. Yeah. yeah. And with Pac, the, um, the prefect of uh, Ferrix now was asking her, was saying, what do you want us to do with Pac? She's like, I don't care. And he says, I want to I wanna hang him as, you know, to show them what happens if they cross us. And she's like, okay, whatever you want to do. Yeah. And it's just like, oh my God. And also... <laughs> the the level of fuck that is given that 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 we know that that has happened to other people at Ferrix because yeah. we know that's what happened mm -hmm. to Clem and yeah. it's probably something that they did often yeah. in the beginning and maybe that they haven't done in a while so that to like to mess with the people of Ferrix like that mm -hmm. that that kind of rule is like back yeah and he gave them the answers they wanted from him but yeah he couldn't help it in the end he he gave them the answers that they were looking for or that they could get from him and he still it didn't matter it didn't matter again <sighs> yeah like yeah and I emphasize again after ignoring everything else after this show how do you still defend the empire like how are you still the edgelord oh I think the, the empire was right when you're standing with people who are using psychological weapons to yeah. essentially terrorize an entire, not even just the town of like we're set in in Ferrix, but an entire planet and an entire galaxy. Yeah. Or when they say that the rebellion was just as bad as the empire. No, like the really? rebellion was acting in response. To the this empire. is this is what I mean when I have a lot of issues with when people say the point of Saw's character is to show that yeah. he is just as bad as the empire. No, he's not. No. And also because he he never had the systemic power that the empire did. Yeah. No. And he knows he knows what they're doing from and his introduction. The way that he is. Yeah. From his and introduction, he's, he's been actively yeah. resisting these structures mm -hmm. and institutions. Yeah. yeah. Like, and in the same way, like as 
Cassian's resistance hasn't always been against the empire, but against institutions. So has Saw's. Exactly. Uh, against the separatists. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, against, against the empire after that. And mm-hmm. he's never had a break. Literally. Ever. And he's lost so Ugh. much again. Oh, there's quite a parallel between him and Cassian, actually. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure yeah. probably mentioned that. <laughs> yeah. No. They both it's... lost their sister. Yeah. Like, they both lost their sister in the fight for against those institutions like yeah (laughs) Mm -hmm. I yeah I also uh it was interesting I wonder they said a woman set Pac up with the thing I think that's Clea yeah I think so too yeah I think it's Clea I I think she has a like higher responsibility than what we've kind of been shown so far that's what so, that's what i've thought yeah because she's yeah. like battling luthan with this and ultimately he bends to what she wants and yeah, I yeah. that's so interesting who's really in he, here luthan or clea i think it was like she's like the head of his like espionage and like everything yeah so like i they're clearly yeah but like it seems like she is like he might be the face and like the the money but yeah. <laughs> she is doing a lot of the the work yeah <laughs> uh yeah and then I mean going into Bix once again the acting no this... so little dialogue but <sighs> heartbreaking yeah mm-hmm. I want to know I really hope they do an interview with her to mm-hmm. know like what like I want to know like what she was thinking or like how she prepared for that scene because Mm -hmm. it isn't it must have been an emotionally straining scene to know what she was supposed to be responding to reacting to or I think I saw somewhere that they actually like composed and (laughs) they composed (laughs) and they created the sounds for for the torture for the torture of the children but they ultimately decided not to use them because they were so distressing yeah I I also think watching that silence and you you having to fill mm-hmm. out in your imagination yeah. what it must sound like is yeah. more distressing I wanted to talk about I was thinking about making a tweet about this but the way that they use silence in Star Wars is so poignant and especially like this is a totally different context but it, like in The Last Jedi when I was thinking um, that when Holdo does the Holdo maneuver and then you could like hear a pin drop in the audience. Like I remember when I watched Last Jedi in theaters for the first time and Holdo did the Holdo maneuver, I heard the entire audience. It was dead silent. They all went, whoa. Yeah. Like, and in this, okay. I, I think I formulated my thesis. I love when Star Wars weaponizes silence. Yeah. I think that's what I'm trying to say here. And yeah. the fact that they emphasized it again in this episode specifically with Bix in the context of colonialism and colonialist institutions, it's just brilliant. Yeah. I also do want to briefly talk about, because I think probably most of us share this opinion. I don't find the Bix, the Bix no. making Bix seem a joke by putting no, other music I was, on it. I, was I don't think it's funny. Up. No, it's yeah. not. It's I really don't not. think it's funny. I think that scene exactly what Danielle said it is it hits very hard for a lot of specifically Latinx or Latino people but even just other minority communities who the same thing we're talking about who have actually who that's based on real life who have had that kind of experimentation done on them even just in the scene I don't love it Star Wars fans sometimes do this I don't think I think it's okay to joke about dark stuff there's some stuff I just don't find funny 
I don't find killing youngling jokes funny. They hit too close to certain real life events. I think this is the same way. This hits too close to Mm -hmm. real life events to be funny. I also didn't like the speed at which it happened because I felt like literally like the next day after the episode came out. I felt like that was a scene that people should have really sat with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just... it's, well, and it's like, even if you take away, which you shouldn't obviously take away how impactful it is for specifically like specific groups of people, it was created as a reason for people to sit and think about it. Like that was very mm-hmm. intentional. The silence, again, Hayden, you mentioned the weaponized silence that was used so that people would think about it, would, you know, sit and contemplate the effects of this and force you to wonder what she heard, force you to have to think about how you would react if you had to hear that. And, or if you have heard something similar to that and all of those things. And so to immediately take it and make a joke about it is just not only insensitive, but I feel like disrespectful to the intention with which it was made yeah and everyone who put so much work into that Adriana who put so much work into our acting the directing of it and the the writing of it as well the writing even Mm -hmm. even the sound people who who managed to do that scene so great and that's like the same thing when people were making jokes about order 66 after (laughs) obi-wan after what we heard what reva went through i'm i'm sorry that just to me that was so insensitive because that was right after uvaldi and like yeah I was yeah I was just about to I'm say sorry that. but I was like I was like when you hear news stories from children and compare it to what Reva ha- like happened to Reva it yeah. just like and I know people always like are like oh well I don't live in the U.S. it doesn't matter okay no. it happens it other places too <laughs> it happens other places and also like and this especially it's like it doesn't matter because there are oppressed people who in every country yeah, yeah. who suffered you know mm-hmm. torture under governments and who suffered this medical torture like experimentation experimentation Mm -hmm. it's yeah so that's that's all right don't make jokes about that they're not funny (laughs) quite frankly there's a lot of things that you can make jokes about in this series but joke about cyril's private fox like that is right there for you to joke right there (laughs) joke about him eating cereal joke about like (laughs) He's such a great way to make jokes. He's joke about Perrin. Once again, Perrin. Perfect man to make jokes about. (laughs) So silly goofy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I, yeah, that scene was so, so good. And I'm also, it also does seem like Fix is also returning for, um, season two at least there's been rumors about it um I think she's also said that so I am excited to see or I'm I yeah yeah excited I'm excited to see how this affects Fix and then also how this drives her into not only the last arc which seems is going to be like a Ferrix centered arc but into a season two Mm -hmm. and if this will be something where we continue to see her if this is something where it'll like continue to see her resist or if it's going to be a situation where like other characters were just seeing trying to see her kind of find peace again yeah mm-hmm. I I don't know why I guess going into this show I kind of 
prepared myself by thinking everyone that who isn't in Rogue One is just gonna die yeah (laughs) so that I don't get hurt (laughs) as I go through the series but the more I thought about it the more I thought about how much more painful and realistic it would be if something just happened between her and Cassian that made Cassian feel like his presence in her life was doing more harm than Mm -hmm. good and or something similar to that and that's how they part ways and then she probably would never find out about Scarif or that it was him on Scarif and that would just be so painful and so realistic though at the same time that I could see them doing that it's kind of like I've said this from the beginning I really do hope it is like a Kira situation uh where Mm -hmm. we see that split but we do get to see Bix continue to live and to live her life um on a different path than Cassian because there I think there is a lot they could do with that character um even if it is like her living up to the New Republic and Resistance era yeah uh and yeah and seeing and maybe eventually she does find out what happens to Cassian and maybe that inspires her maybe she doesn't join the rebellion the first time around but then because she's just trying to recover from everything that she's witnessed but then the second time around maybe like the memory of Cassian motivates her to join the resistance again and she remembers what she did in her youth she remembers Cassian and she remembers what she suffered under the empire and she kind of is like I don't want other people to have to go through that yeah um I would really love for her not to die because yeah (laughs) so we have so few latina characters in star wars like there's we're slowly Mm -hmm. growing adding to our list of latino characters but latina characters we don't have that many and uh it would just be so nice to have her as kind of a a permanent semi-permanent character who does get to live and gets to maybe come back for something in the resistance era or you know and even fewer and even fewer latina women yeah yeah like I mean so few I think yeah uh, it's like yeah Lupita Nyong'o is the other one that I can think of she's Afro yeah but I can't really think of any other yeah well Shara (laughs) Shara Bay but even then yeah yeah. but we also haven't seen her I mean it counts yes but like she is not someone that we've seen in visual media yet like I'm sure there's a longer I'm thinking much probably longer list in the books and comics but based on only visual media significantly less yeah yeah but yes Charvet cannot forget the Dameron's of course (laughs) uh any other thoughts on this episode and then theories for next week and then the rest of the series which is only three more episodes (laughs) I I don't even want to theorize like I I don't even want to think about this show ending and where it could possibly stop and I don't want to not set myself up for disappointment but like I just want to go in with an open mind because I know whatever they have in mind is going to be phenomenal Uh, if if it's following the same track as the rest of the series it's going to be probably the best um at least like technically the best constructed Star Wars finale in my opinion like maybe maybe it would Maybe it would be rivaled only by like the Rebels finale, but it it'll definitely I don't want to say surpass um the Clone Wars finale because that's like kind of like a different context, but it could definitely be one of the hardest hitting pieces of Star Wars media. Yeah. Yeah, because if 
if the beach scene happens this next episode then we still have two more episodes to go mm-hmm. so what what is left <laughs> yeah I said very aggressively because yeah. I'm scared <laughs> uh I know I, from the trailer the couple of things we have the ship the mm, laser yeah. ship thing the, yeah like the lightsaber oh. <laughs> yeah we have yeah. like and then there was like there's like b2 leading a crowd there's some oh, explosions was, on Ferrix. Yeah, I was uh, going like, I think the next couple episodes are going to be like the uprising on Ferrix. And maybe mm, they're going to drive yeah. the Empire out. It yeah. looks like Cyro ends up on Ferrix again. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. In a different, I think it's probably going to be, I, my guess is he's going to take matters into his own hands and try to find Cassian. Uh, yeah. And I think there's also going to be a big, kind of a big confrontation then over Cassian because Cyril's looking for him. Deidre's watching Marva in case uh he comes back Cinta and Val are still Cinta's still on Ferrix looking for him uh so I think there might be somewhat of a confrontation yeah or like a big when he yeah yeah I think I theorize the scene is gonna be like uh because Marva is sick like Cassian coming home and he's like oh my god like are you okay and she's gonna be like no 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 and then, like, Dedra is going to, like, step out of the shadows oh. of, like, their home yeah. and be, like, Cassie and Andor. I, I could see, like, a good a good end to the finale would be, like, all the parts of the series coming together so far. Yeah. So all the parts of, of Cassian's experiences that have happened. So Cyril, yeah. Dedra, maybe. Uh, obviously, Senta's there, like you said. And mm. just kind of all of it coming together, coming to a head. Yeah, and I think we're going to see, and I think definitely, you know, I think most of us, it's going to be the official joining of Cassian into specifically Mon Mothma's uh, sect of the Rebellion. Yeah. Yeah. And we still, and we do still have a Saw scene we haven't seen either. Mm -hmm. So it's possible that I think maybe even the partisans could be involved in Ferrick's. I'd also like to say I said this. Uh, let's let's see Vetch kick some imperial ass. <laughs> I have some a question that I hadn't thought of before. Do we think Cassian's going to be the one in charge of trying to get Mon Mothma out? Like obviously Hera's cell takes care of it, but do we think that Cassian could be the one who is like giving the orders? Because this is at, that happens after Ahsoka already her whole yeah. showdown with Malachor. Yeah, because that's season two of yeah. uh, and Rebels. Then, and then Mon Mothma's escape is season three, I think. Yeah, yeah. it's because it's, it's like end of season three, right? Because that's like, yeah, somewhere right before there. that cell ends up getting transferred to Yavin. Yeah. Yeah. That would be, be interesting. So good. Yeah. Like her and Luthen, or him and Luthen. Yeah. Organizing her escape <laughs> with Clea too. Ooh, oh, yeah. man. That would be exciting. <laughs> There's just so many possibilities. I really love yeah. that about the show. Mm-hmm. There's Same. so many possibilities and you don't really know what they're going to go with. And yeah, I love that surprise. Yeah. Cause I think even like, yeah, even so far, like I think we've all been so shocked about the ways that the they've uh, recontextualized Cassian's backstory and his yeah. journey into the rebellion. Yeah. It's so good. Oh, I'm so excited. I mean, but also I don't Andy. want to oh yeah oh, I was just gonna say bringing Andy Circus in I was so shocked <laughs> Me <laughs> <Yeah>. too. <laughs> I sat there for like five minutes like what <laughs> is that Andy Circus? <laughs> were we expecting it 
Yeah. And now I'm like, oh, I wonder, like, now it's so curious into like which actors like that they might bring into like a season two. I know. Like, oh, yeah. I'm so excited, but I don't want it to end because then I don't have to wait till 2024 though. I know. 2024 does not sound like a real year. (laughs) I like, I guess like if you think about it, we have so much to fill because we're getting Bad Batch and Mando next year. Lots of Star Wars books in between. So lots of Star Wars books. The ending of Hidden Empire. Is Accolade and Andor coming out the same year then? Is the plan for Accolade to come out in 2020? Yeah, I think it is 2024 because they already started filming. Huge, yeah. huge year for insufferable people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you're huge year for High Republic and or Sedans. AKA you specifically. Yeah. You mean to me. Yeah. Because we're in the club. Danielle, okay. what have you been reading? Well, the most recent Star Wars book I finished was the Rogue One novelization. And yeah. obviously that that is not my Bible. I <laughs> I worship it. You understand? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have I have um I kept I kept it off or pushed it off for a long time because I knew it was gonna really, really hurt. And it hurt more than I thought it was going to. Yeah. Um yeah. I think it's it's worse for people who already connected really well with the characters in the movie mm-hmm. because then it just adds even more to that. Um, their their death being in their heads. Yeah, that hurt really bad. It hurts. Um, and like I said, the data files are just it was an ingenious way of conveying information that you couldn't put in a POV. And I love it. I've already tagged like all the things I think are going to be brought up in season two of Andor or that they could bring up. Um, yeah. So I'm excited about that. And I am about to start Path of Deceit because it only just came out in the UK on Thursday. My copy oh, wow. arrives tomorrow. So Yay. I'm going to start reading that immediately. Oh, it's a, it's a good It's one. a doozy. <laughs> it's yeah. A doozy. I, I've seen, I've, I've not been spoiled yet, but I have seen yeah. that there's a very big twist. So I'm looking forward to that. No comment. <laughs> is Convergence still uh, coming out the same date then, or is it also a different one? I think it's the 21st. So Convergence, yeah, I have, I have my early copy of it because it doesn't matter in the UK, but (laughs) but Disney apparently does. Um, Weird. But yeah, so I have that. I'm going to start that right after. Oh, I'm so excited for Convergence. That's, I've heard such good things about it. Yeah. Comics. Comic book time. Okay. So this week's releases, we had um, Star Wars 29, Bounty Hunters 28, and Mando number five, which I have not talked to a single person who is reading The Mandalorian right now. Basically, if if you weren't aware, um, the, the Mandalorian comic coming out right now is just like an episode by episode adaptation of the Mandalorian with like I know listen if we're gonna get straight up screen to page adaptations get that shit out of here but but and or one big big caveat but here's the thing with the other also I did love the Omera and 
Nado cover. I bought that yes. because really good cover. That, the Nodo cover the is cover. Really just just don't open the actual comic. That's yeah, because the but, art the art is another issue. But oh but the Omera but Omera Din crumbs was appreciated. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. Omera crumbs are always appreciated <laughs> by us. Miss so, you, girl. <laughs> going back to the caveat, in previous comic and book adaptations they've added like extra scenes or like in the solo adaptation they mm-hmm. added in the deleted scenes and basically canonized the fact that han got kicked out of the academy for doing what was right and they also canonized balance again but we're getting ahead of ourselves that's for <laughs> bounty hunters what mando was doing is essentially like translating the screen to the page with no added like extra comments or extra scenes or whatever and also, the art is not very good. I'm, I'm so sorry. Bad. I'm so sorry. No, it's 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 rough out here. So if they're gonna do adaptations like that for the for the rest of the shows, keep please it. don't. <laughs> and also, can we uncancel the Rise of Skywalker adaptation, please? I tweeted about that a couple weeks ago, and the PR guy for Marvel likes that tweet, so he knows. He knows. Did they they never release the? No, it got, no, it got, it got secretly canceled, like, around COVID, which is, like, maybe a month or two before it was supposed to come out, so yeah, they canceled it and just didn't tell anybody, but they released covers for it. Yeah, they had covers, I think, yeah, yeah, they had covers one and two released for it. They were good covers, too. They, they were by Phil Noto. They, Phil Noto did the freaking covers for that. You cancel a Phil Noto cover. No, you can't do that. Inexcusable. Exactly. (laughs) So to start off the gate with the comics, with the book club, the comic section of the book club, stop the Mandalorian adaptation and bring back the Rise of Skywalker adaptation. So. Unless you're going to add extra scenes for Mando. Yeah. 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 Unless you're going to add deleted scenes. like Or just do a prequel comic run for Mando, like before he got Grogu. I would eat that shit up. Yeah. Don't don't they already also have the... um graphic novel they do or in season one and it's the same as thing. well yeah they also have yeah. A, and i know i also know they have a junior adaptation of yeah. both seasons yeah <laughs> so like we, yeah. we get it the first season is good we don't need another version <laughs> yeah. of it please <laughs> we want more din content but we want new din content <laughs> exactly it's also We're just s- a waste of people's talents i mean i don't I, want to say that that yeah. sounds rude but no, like let you're, people you're right. be creative let them yeah. come up with something new yeah seeing somebody it'd be so cool to see someone think of din before grogu his yeah. backstory yeah. more of his mando stuff like like I want to so see cool. the bounty hunter being a bounty hunter. Yeah. yeah. Even, yeah, even if it was for... just like five issues of no, like, like serious various hunts that he's like on. A, yeah, like an Obi Wan comic where it like filled in yes. different mm-hmm. moments in his life that we haven't. I feel like seen. that format would be a yeah. really good prequel format for Mando. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Seeing him get his first Mando helmet. Yeah. What a great what a great story. Do you know what? Do you know what it probably is though? they're unsure yeah. what stories they want to tell and mm-hmm. so they're forbidding yeah. anyone else from telling it i and, wonder and, who stopped yeah, them from like doing that maybe, <laughs> maybe I was like, the story group maybe the story group is not doing that. i i wonder who could benefit from having some input and listening to the story group yeah. give us I don't give know. us an omera comic <laughs> slay yeah. 
Let, let me learn about her and her, her story again. <laughs> my yeah. my personal headcanon for her was that she used to be a handmaiden on Nabu, Nabu but mm. that's just me. Oh, <laughs> I kind of like that. She does that. give handmaiden vibes. She? she does. Yeah. It would also explain why she knows how to like Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Don't they have a handmade in academy or like they have a program now on Nabu because of Padme? I don't I don't remember Queen's Shadow very much. <laughs> I think it wasn't common to have as many handmaidens the way that Padme did and utilize the way that Padme used used them uh until Padme and then afterwards. Okay. I think in one of the books they talk about how it became more common. Yeah, because of her. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what I thought. But anyway, going back to our releases, we have Star Wars 29, which is essentially like we talked about a little bit earlier, um, the the medically prescribed day off. (laughs) So basically, this is after the arc where they discover that there's a second Death Star. And I think it's Mon Mothma. She sends like Leia, Holdo, Lando, Chewie, and Luke all to this one planet with under the guise of like, oh, we're just having a chill day off, whatever. But really, they're there for an auction of a Nile strike ship that still has a path engine in it. So what happens then is that I forget, I forget exactly what happens, but I think they're trying to escape in the Nile, the Nile Hill, Nile, I don't know, the Nile ship and then the path engine activates and it takes them to no space like where martian rose like like his base is so that's literally where the the comic ended like the very last page was no space so this was kind of like a bridge um in between the two storylines even though i really i've talked about this before i really really liked the last arc of star wars and also they they went back to the old artist for this which like i really liked andre genelay what where did he go? <laughs> Come back. But anyway, all this to say, I still think this is a really solid issue that I'm interested to see where else it goes, just because it, we have quote-unquote current Star Wars clashing with the High Republic, which is still going on, um, which they did a little bit with the second arc of Star Wars, which is Operation Starlight, which is where they tried to go onto Starlight and like find it because I think they were looking for an artifact. I don't know. I haven't read in a while, but it's interesting to see how these two eras of Star Wars like merge with each other and understand each other in a way. Um, Liv, what did you think about it? Um, I obviously have have not read The High Republic, so I was just like, this is cool. This is, this is nice but I did enjoy um Leia Holdo and the gang having their day off at the pool um and Holdo saying she's like taking in the fine looking men aka Lando and Luke and Leia's like what are you talking about but, yeah I just I love Holdo I love any time that they bring her back mm. into the comic so that's a that's a chef's kiss from me. Also, <laughs> she has really good um, stints in the comics. I know she also has a couple of arcs in Star Wars Adventures, the IDW comic that I think ended um, this year because their contract ended with Disney, and then they started here's, up the Dark Horse contract. Oh, go ahead. Oh, here's the thing: if we're 
canonizing more lesbians in Star Wars. No. Yeah. Hold the West <laughs> canon lesbian win. Yeah. Yeah. I'm desperate. Got it down. <laughs> Come on, Charles. I believe in you. <laughs> I believe in you, Charles Soul. <laughs> but anyway, I believe she... in your your own Laura Dern's power. <laughs> <laughs> Laura Dern's uh, mommy power. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well going back to holdo she has again she has some really good stints in the comics and they really build up her character as like sort of an aid to leia like she's probably like her closest friend outside of you know luke or han at that time (laughs) um but it's really nice to see them building their dynamic because uh, to my knowledge, they just introduced Holdo in Last Jedi and was like, here is this person that has apparently been friends with Leia for a very, very long listen, time. Listen, listen, you need to what? read Leia Princess of all the Okay. They, they've known each other for a very long time. That's what I said. But That's like, they why just... The journey to the Last Jedi is right on top of that yeah. book. <laughs> fine. 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 <laughs> Let me finish Tarkin first. <laughs> then I'll get back oh, to you. God. <laughs> anyway. <Good luck>. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I think what they do with Holdo in the comics is very smart and it's really good character development for her specifically. Because at the time of War of the Bounty Hunters and the rest of the Crimson Rain tie-ins, Holdo is off. I think she's scouting for a new base, which is eventually where they find, um, which is, and they're still like scattered after Empire Strikes Back because the the Empire cracked their encryption codes. So they still have to find more and they still have to find, like, they still have to gather back up without the Empire finding them. But overall, I'm just very interested to see where this part of the arc goes. Because we still, fuck, I just realized we're probably going to be in this arc for the Hidden Empire tie-ins. Mm-hmm. So how the fuck are those two things going to coincide? I'm, I'm concerned. <laughs> Liv? I'm, I don't know because I don't know High Republic <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Well, maybe this is your sign. No. (laughs) Oh, okay, fine. If Kira gets involved with some High Republic stuff, I will read the High Republic. Okay. When when Kira meets one of Martian Rose's ancestors. (laughs) Oh my god, she's one of the new girl bosses that she brings onto her team. This is how we win. This is how we win. This is how we win. (laughs) That would also mean that Martian Rose... That Martian Rowe fucked. Well, no, we know he fucked. I'm saying that his canonical fucking led yeah. to something. Yeah. It wasn't. It was, no, I'm not. I'm not gonna say. That, never mind. <laughs> it wasn't just for fun, please. It wasn't just blank shooting. <laughs> when phase three canonizes this come back here <laughs> when marcia Monroe has a secret kid <laughs> anyways going back to star wars 29 <laughs> um overall 
it was a really good bridge issue in between the last arc and this apparent arc where it's going. I have no idea how the fuck it's going to tie in the Hidden Empire, which I'm also very scared for, which we will get into a little bit later. Um, this issue gets a thumbs up for me. Not two, but one. Yeah, same. It wasn't, it same. wasn't my favorite and it wasn't the, it, I didn't like it as much as the last arc. And yeah. I think that could also contribute to like the new artist and like the content of the arc, but I don't know. Whatever it's setting up, I'm I'm ready to see, but I would I still prefer the Death Star arc. Mm-hmm. Now, the main event. Now, the main event. Bounty Hunters 28. Okay. <sighs> I need to talk about this issue without feeling insane, without sounding insane. That's not possible. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Is it ever possible for me to sh- know? No, it's not. I we're simply <laughs> the truth. I don't think anybody's ever been like heard you talk about bounty hunters and been like, wow, that person seems so normal about this comic. So sane. <laughs> They're so sane. That would yeah. be like somebody hearing me talk about Andor or Danielle talk about the clones or Liv talk about Kira and be like, yeah, they definitely like this, just like a normal, healthy normal, amount. Yeah. I think my boyfriend was so glad the day I got a TikTok account and started talking about clones on there. <laughs> I can't even be crazy about bounty hunters on TikTok anymore because he doesn't have the TikTok. So now I have to be semi-normal on there, unfortunately. But anyways, I'm trying to bring my brain in. Uh, <laughs> so the first like scene of the issue is Valance essentially with his with this girl boss with his girl boss being girl, girl boss of male life energy with his girlfriend who are the, who they are on first name basis with already? I would <laughs> hope so if they're dating. What do you mean? <laughs> well, I thought I thought I thought she was just a fuck buddy, okay? But anyways, moving on. Basically, they get given a mission to i think it's like to stop crimson dawn from stealing fuel it's something having to do with fuel do you remember what it is Liv? something like that i don't know (laughs) no no, i i do i do remember it was a goodwill gesture for the empire to like give them goods or something like the people of bestine goods and Mm -hmm. crimson dawn was going to steal Steal them them? okay okay So then we switch to the interior of the Accretion Disco, where the Edge Hawk crew, you know, Tonga, Losha, um, Tasu Leech, Bosk, Zuckus, Forlom, they're all kind of like their activity shit hit the fan because Tasu Leech killed a bunch of pikes. Okay. So what they do is they save some of the people on the station and they like let it drift into the black hole that it's surrounding now the very ending of this issue tonga finally decides to take up kira and margo's offer and work for crimson dawn when i saw fucking margo's face pop up on the hologram and she said like something like took you long enough i'm having a a very strong range of emotions right now (laughs) And then when Tonga asked, like, what do you need us to do? 
And then Margot said Bestine. And it was the panel of Valance on the Star Destroyer on his way to Bestine. There, there are so many <laughs> ways that this could go this, wrong. Oh, it's not even funny. So... I am very scared. I literally, when I saw that panel, I literally like, I, I pulled a Luthen where like, I sat back and I just, I just had to laugh and like stretch my arms up, but like in a bad way, like, like Joker, like that, that I, I think I turned into the Joker this week. Oh my God. Like, I, I don't think you understand. I also, this was like the exact, like exactly a year after Bounty Hunter 17 came out, like to the day, like they had the same release date, like. I cannot express how unwell I feel about what the fuck is going to happen in 29, 30, and 31. Because remember, in our in our episode with Ethan, he said that 31 eventually devolved into 30 and 31, which means the next issue starts off that arc. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I fear for our boy. No, I, f- I, I fear for me. I oh, fear yeah. for me. Yeah. I fear more for the, for the consequences. <laughs> no. Uh, like, on Hayden specifically. I, I fear for I fear for Ethan. I fear for Ethan. Of, like yeah. because of Hayden. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I <laughs> I I, I Words can't come out of my mouth. (laughs) I am so fucking scared. Because remember, I have been in this shit since the beginning. Since the day Valence got pulled onto the Star Destroyer. (laughs) And I remember, I remember for a fact, I made a TikTok about this. Because I had read Valence's legend stuff when I was reading, when I was rereading Bounty Hunter's for the umpteenth time, I don't even remember when. And I remember I made a TikTok about it. I took the page of Vader with Valance for the first time in canon. And then I used the audio that says, if what I think is happening is happening, it better not be. And then I connected it back to his legends, um, his legends story with the exact pages that we were talking about the other day. Like, (laughs) it's... It is so bad for me specifically. <laughs> uh, and now I've gotten, not that I wasn't attached to them before, but I have gotten so fucking attached to the rest of the Edgehawk crew. And then seeing Cadelia again in 26 just added another fucking layer of insult and disrespect to injury. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm literally, I'm literally frothing at the mouth right now. <laughs> like. I, mm, needless to say, I'm very worried for the next three issues. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. So, Liv, what do you have to say? <laughs> I was just going to say it was a good issue for Zuckus enjoyers. There is yeah. a lot of Zuckus content in this one. <laughs> but I am also very, very scared because there's 
because okay shit is definitely going to hit the fan next issue because either a tonga is going to tell valence about cadelia <laughs> b vader is going to tell valence about cadelia c Hayden is going to, not this Hayden, Hayden <laughs> Lieutenant Hayden is going to tell Valance about Cadelia. That is, those are the, the three options we have, and none of them are good. <laughs> I also fear that Lieutenant Hayden may die. Will she be killed by the bounty hunters? Will she be killed by Vader? We don't know. Not, not, neither option are good. So. I don't want to do this anymore. I know. I know. <laughs> Balance also will probably die. Um, <laughs> I'm saying out loud to wrap my head around it because I am not prepared. No. Neither is Hayden, quite evidently. Um, but I gotta start no. trying to prepare because I will mm -mm. be a wreck. <laughs> no. No, this you is exactly how I feel about the Bad Batch season two. <laughs> okay, that's so fair. <laughs> you good? <laughs> and the fact that Ethan has the fucking audacity to dangle it over our heads literally fucking daily. <laughs> I <laughs> it is so bad for me specifically. <laughs> it mm. It's not good for me. Yeah, so those were the comics for this week. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, we have to give a rating. I am gonna give it hold on. What are you doing? Oh, are you getting feet involved? What yes. is <laughs> Show us your feet. Put those grippers for away. The grippers are not out <laughs> for the listeners. The grippers are not out. They are encased in vans. They are encased in vans and toucan socks. Okay, I'm giving it's not this issue. Feet shot. Yes, I'm giving this a four limbs up. And I'm. Same, there we go. but I, I'm too lazy. I won't actually <laughs> lift them. <laughs> I am wearing rebellion socks, though. So that's oh, that's Mine have two cans on them. Mine win because they're Star Wars. Fuck you. <laughs> anyway. Um, looking ahead to next week. Isn't it only High Republic next week? It's, yeah, it's only High Republic. However, dot, dot, dot ellipses whatever the fuck you want to call it we get a hidden empire preview oh, next I week i don't want to think about it no it's <sighs> it is going to be so bad because remember okay so for for the listeners who don't know hidden empire is the last installment of the unofficial kira trilogy that charles soul has been doing with the marvel comics we don't hear about Kira after this point. I don't think I don't think they're gonna kill her in the comics because I no. I'm just gonna say it'd be pretty fucked to kill a major character from a movie. Yeah. Like I know it's I yeah. know it's all the same canon. 
it just doesn't seem honestly in my opinion it does not seem fair to that character no to kill her in a medium in which most fans do not read I I know like how it's very good mm -hmm. not great I agree I agree 100% I thankfully trust Charles Soule enough He's done yeah. enough with Kira that I don't think he would make that, in my opinion, poor decision. But I can never, I can't trust anybody these days. So. Yeah. I simply would like Charles Soul to decanonize Return of the Jedi <laughs> and have Kira kill the Emperor. Slay. That's Slay. my, that's because- my one of the variants is Kira like fighting the emperor and then oh my god and then a couple days ago you know what got released a variant of Ko versus Vader like Ko I'm I'm very sorry you're Rest done peace, Ko. <laughs> I, oh I look like a bird this, I've said this you can rip Kira being in the Battle of Exegol from my cold, dead hands. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Lando recruited her. Why? Because I said so. So You're true. You're so right. You were absolutely correct. <laughs> <sighs> so, yeah. Hidden Empire preview coming out next week. And if they... Remember, this is the last installment of the Kira trilogy. And I, I remember. Have... <laughs> We have been in this shit since the beginning, okay? Like, you read The Prelude when it came out. You read War the Bounty Hunters 1 when it came out. Like, we've been following this shit for almost two full years now. Over two I, full years, right? No. No, I think math, almost two years. Math is really hard. Yeah. Sorry. I do not know what I'm going to do when I don't have this crossover event to guide me through <laughs> what, what am I gonna do when I lose Kira again I went from 2018 to 2021 without any new content and then I had new content and now I'm gonna lose it again <laughs> it's mm, and then the implications for this like for this slate of comics as well like they're they're edging up on Return of the Jedi like Luke is learning how to be a Jedi. I I don't know what I'm gonna do when I lose these when I do when I lose these runs, and the thought of it makes my brain go into like alarm bells mode. But I sincerely do not know what I'm gonna do when I lose these runs. I um. Anyways, oh yeah, of course. Um. So I have read Crimson Rain. Mm-hmm. Uh. What. Is that the second installment of the yes, character? What's installment. the first one then? War of the Bounty, War of the Bounty Hunters. Hunters. Okay, okay. So I'm I okay. I'm because I'm reading through that. I read the first volume. I just have to oh, look at awesome. the ones. Okay. Yes. Okay. I was just making sure I knew which one. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> of course. And I think this winter, the War of the Bounty Hunters omnibus is coming out, which is the collected edition of the miniseries, the tie-ins. The tie-ins for all four individual runs, like, if if anyone is listening about and thinking about getting me a Christmas present, the War of the Body Hunters <laughs> would be a great idea. <laughs> not that I, I don't do. have all of the issues individually, and not that I don't have all the trade paperbacks, <laughs> but it would just be very nice and sexy to have as a single-bound giant book. 
it's actually like not too expensive either it's not it's, I, it's we like did the something pages yeah. and it's only a hundred bucks i say only which it's a hundred bucks is still a lot but like a hundred bucks cheap- for over 800 pages yeah it's cheaper than buying all the volumes individually no yeah exactly anyway, that's yeah. exactly what i was gonna say i did the that's math yeah i did the math a couple of weeks ago and it's like 20 30 40 dollars cheaper to just buy the omnibus than to buy like each individual issue and each individual trade paperback well anyways we also get an afro preview next week (laughs) well no technically this 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 week oh yeah yeah very scared for multiple reasons um but anyway Liv, what are you reading um i did my literacy for the month Rising. <laughs> I I don't know. I have such a busy month for school that I will. I'm just gonna say it right now. I will not be reading. Yeah. <laughs> Besides, like the comics that are coming out, I will not be engaging in literacy. Literacy. Like, loses. don't you graduate next month? Technically, yeah. <laughs> oh, bestie. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> And then I am still making my way through Tarkin, which, asterisk, is not as bad as everyone says it is. If you like Tarkin and you like imperial workplace politics, it's the book for you. If you like Catalyst, it's the book for you. I like imperial workplace politics and I don't hate Catalyst, so I'm enjoying my time in this establishment. What I'm going to do afterwards? I have no idea. I'm still freaking 20 pages into Most Wanted. (laughs) I still haven't picked that up in like months. But for now, we're reading about Tarkin. And it is very funny because Tarkin has daddy issues. But anyways, (laughs) that's it for Kessel Run Book Club this week. Wait, (laughs) we didn't ask Emily. Nope. (laughs) Hey, then. I'm sorry. Okay. Kessel Run Book Club back open. Emily, what are you reading? Will literacy prevail? I'm still reading Shift. Uh, yes. It's, look, it's back to winter here. It's rainy. I was really tired this week. Uh, <laughs> I was not reading a lot. i hoping to finish this uh, soon, get back into it, and read at least another book before Convergence comes out. Uh, but yeah, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to reach my reading goal. That's really my main Thing. It's like I read. I want to read fifty books this year. I'm at forty three. I just You're so close. close. <laughs> I'm so close. I I want to. It'll be the most books that I've ever read, like in wow. a year since I started tracking. So nice. I'm pushing through to get to that fifty. We believe. Um, thank literacy you. prevails. Literacy you're will the, prevail. You're the, the most literate. On the podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Okay, now Kessler Book Club is done. <laughs> uh, Danielle, thank you so much for joining us. You should definitely go follow Danielle if you love Rogue One and Andor, but also, as we mentioned, she does talk a lot about the clone. She's basically the clone expert on TikTok, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> and if you if you are a Commander Wolf enjoyer, definitely. It's my boy. Mm-hmm. yes yes (laughs) and with the bad batch coming up soon oh yeah yeah you're gonna wanna yeah (laughs) watch me cry about cody i I get sick thinking about it physically (laughs) ill 
It makes me you want and, you and Jess are you and Jess are gonna be in the trenches. <laughs> oh God! Uh, Shout out yes. to Jess at Cody Watch. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, so make sure to follow Danielle everywhere. We'll once again we'll put all of her links in the description. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. I this was a really great discussion this week. Uh, make sure to follow us on social media. Uh, once again, you can ask us questions on our Twitter or email. We would love to have questions. <laughs> That'd be fun, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for listening and may the force be with you. <laughs>